I'd like to welcome everybody. Today we are doing another uh, Parsha broadcast for the Torah portion. This week we're in Vayigash, talking about when Judah and Joseph are having their final encounter and the whole family being reunited, coming down to Egypt and all that good stuff. I have a few friends here with me. I have the Silver Surfer, which is Zoreak Surfer, the Luminous One. Then we have Gambit over here, which is Akav, and we have the Punisher, our newest Avenger, aka Picard, and myself, Shomer Man. So, we're looking at the Torah portion this week, and we're also looking at some of the information on the month of Tevet, because that's the Hebrew month we're in, and uh, what that all means and entails, and um, whatever else comes up, we're going to do that too. So, Rukashem. All right, let us go whenever y'all are ready. Okay, so it starts in Bereshit, um, chapter 44, 18. Is that where it goes? It starts. Uh, correct. Yes, forty-four eighteen. Okay. Alright. So I'll start to read and if anybody has any insight, please, this is what we're here for. Alright. <laughs> uh, then Yehuda approached him and said, If you please, my lord, may your servants speak a word in my lord's ear, and let not your anger flare up at your servant. For you are like Pharaoh. My Lord has asked his servant, saying, Have you fathered or have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have an older an old father and a young child of his old age. His brother is dead, he alone is left from his mother, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, and I will set my eye on him. We said to my Lord, The youth cannot leave his father, for should he leave his father, he will die. But you said to your servants, If your youngest brother does not come down with you, you will not see my face again. Any insights? I think it's quite interesting. Let me just check to yeah, see at, what this. Uh, insights down there. Just see what the. Because <clears throat> I'm I'm curious on what he calls them. Because on verse 19 he says, "My Lord has asked his servant." I'm just curious on what this. Oh, what Rabboni. He, Rabboni. Okay, not Adonai. <laughs> no. Rabboni. So he's calling him as a rabbi, huh? Interesting. All right, let's see if any kind. When of, was Yeshua called Rabboni? Fresh out the tomb. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
So yeah, definitely. This is a moment of resurrection here. Oh, because we know that the uh, the two Mashiachs met at the resurrection because it says that Mashiach ben David is the one who resurrects Mashiach ben Yosef. That's the Sukkah fifty two A drop. Wow. So I'm gonna pull that up because that's a always a good one to go back to. So I'll have a standing tag whenever I can find this. You see any insights here? Rashi. See what Rashi has to say. May my Lord penetrate into your ears. May my words penetrate into your ears. I'm afraid of your anger. Family. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so this is Sukkah 52a. The Chazal taught to Mashiach ben David, who is destined to be revealed swiftly in our time. Amen. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Ask of me anything, and I will give you whatever you wish. I will tell you the decree, says Adonai. You are my son. This day have I begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Tehillim 2, 7 through 8. Once Mashiach ben David saw Mashiach ben Yosef who was killed, he says to the Holy One, blessed be he, Master in the universe, I ask of you only life, that I would not suffer the same fate. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, Life? Even before you stated this request, your father David already prophesied about you, with regard to this matter precisely, as it is stated, he asked of you life, you gave it to him, even length of days forever and ever. So, then it goes into talking about the Yatahara. So, from this section of the Talmud here, Mashiach ben David is asking Hashem to grant him the gift of eternal life so that he can resurrect the Mashiach ben Yosef. Mm. And so... And the tomb, it's like, is it Mashiach ben Yosef or is it Mashiach ben David? And the same answer has been the whole thing for his whole life because we know people called him Ben David, Ben David, you yeah. know, like the blind man who was wanting him to heal him. Mm -hmm. But uh, just yeah. knowing the fact that the precedent is laid down that Mashiach <laughs> ben David is going to resurrect the Mashiach ben Yosef. Hmm. So, well, I noticed too that every time people called him Ben David, he tried to quiet them. Because he said, now's not my time. Mm. So it's not time for Ben David yet. I'm still Ben Yosef. And it's not until I come out of the tomb that the switch is going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's like, I'll still respond to it, but I want right. you to know. Who I am right now. Yeah. Where I'm at right now. Yeah. Man. I think it's interesting, because um, here, it, what Joe read, it says, uh, you were like Pharaoh. It says, uh, according to, who am I holding here? Rashi. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my sources mix up. Rashi. He says, uh, the commentary says, uh, you are esteemed in my eyes as of the king. This is the verse's simple meaning. Um, the commentary says, um, uh, let's see. Uh, Judah told Yosef, although I speak to you harshly, let your anger not flare up against me, for you are as esteemed in my eyes as the king. And I speak harshly only as a result of the pain I feel. Rashi uses the king 
here for Pharaoh, referring to him in his royal capacity. It is only in the interpretation as opposed to those which follow that Tudor refers to Pharaoh as an object of respect. Um, so I think it's interesting that Yehuda is referring to Joseph in the capacity of Pharaoh himself, um, saying that, in my eyes, you are the king. You are equated with Pharaoh. So, for the revelation to the dream. Yeah. That you will honor me as your king. Mm. Tur ha aroch in the phrase Vayigash Elev Yahuda, meaning Yehuda approached him closely. Originally, Yehuda had thought that Yosef wanted to condemn Benjamin to death. If that, if that had been the case, he would not have been an opening to substitute his life for that of his brother. Now that he had heard from Yosef's own lips that he intended to keep him as a slave, he felt that by offering himself instead, he might persuade Yosef that his offer had merit. Which is quite interesting because we see the substitutional sacrifice that he thought that, oh, this man wants to send Benjamin to death, Maybe I can be as a substitute. Another interesting insight is like Yehuda looks at him as Pharaoh, but yet he can draw close to him. So even those who it, it, it seems like the lesson to be learned here, even those people who are high. In regards, we can. There's still, you can still still draw close to them. Hmm. Well, because the greatest among you are those who are the least. least. And then the precedent brought down Parsha uh, Marseille about the cities of refuge says that the Kohen Gadol is always linked to the lowest person in the uh, in the whole nation of Israel. So. If he's linking himself with a king who's considered to be a great one, he is maybe not lowering himself, but he's showing that regardless of what level, I mean, that's, that concept is still true. You can still be close to the king. Because if the lowest person can, then how much more so anybody else? Right. Tag. What you got? It reminds me of back in Miketz, uh verse 48. I'm in the K-Holt. Uh, the commentary talks about how when Yosef was storing up the food, that the reason his did not, his stores did not rot, is because he put soil with it. Mm. Mm, interesting. And it, it goes on here. I'll read the whole thing because it's got the commentary intermixed with the K hole. It says Yosef collected all the surplus food during the seven years that had now come to pass in Egypt and he placed the food in storage complexes in the city. It was a well-known fact that soil's composition varies from one locale to the next. The soil of each locale possessing its own unique properties that enable it to sustain different crops. It was further known that because of this fact the crops of any specific locale are best preserved when stored with some of the soil in which they were grown. Joseph therefore placed with the food some soil taken from the fields surrounding the city where it had grown. And the uh, commentary <clears throat> says of it, 
our spiritual food, quote-unquote, is the knowledge of the Torah that we amass by studying it. In order for us to retain this food and ensure that it not spoil, we must place some soil inside it. Soil which is trod upon by all is a metaphor for humility. By studying the Torah with humility, we internalize it, thereby ensuring that our knowledge of it will ensure and remain fresh. It says that everybody else is rotted because they didn't put the soil, the Torah, with it. Which would be the whole reason why they went to Pyro when Pyro was like, did you not sort of, yeah, but it rotted. Yeah. So you're also here because you're arrogant. You don't want to do what Yosef says. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm also hearing, too, the fact he said that Yosef's bread didn't rot. So his bread of life didn't rot because he buried it in the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. As we said last week, everlasting contribution. Yeah. yeah. One of the Psalms said that Yosef's contribution to the, the, the nation of Israel is an everlasting one. Ah. So the whole nation is called by Yosef because of his contribution to the nation. Yeah, when it says these are the generations Toledot, Yaakov, Yosef. But what what happened to the others? Yosef. That's all you need to know. That's what's important. Yosef. Dude. Uh, as a mini tag off that, it came to mind when I was reading that uh, in Musar it talks about how humility, which is likened here to the soil, to the Torah, to Yeshua. Mm-hmm that all of the other um, Musar attributes, Seder and all those other ones, are built up and improved on only by humility. Humility is the only attribute of Musar that is builds up all the other ones. They all hinge on humility on the soil. Wow. It enhances them all. So this is making me think of uh, Mashiach's words where he says, take my yoke upon you. Mm-hmm. And I think he says, for I am humble. Mm. Right there. Lowly, humble, yep. So when we're looking at that, and then Rabbi got into this on the Yalei Day about Mashiach riding on a donkey, right? Yeah. Tied to that whole concept. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And so, like that whole aspect of how can we be increased in every way? Like Mashiach was leading us in like, the increase mm-hmm. because when we were created in the garden like we were supposed to we were supposed to just forever and forever and ever grow mm-hmm. but with the midrash bringing down that adam was like so huge like the size of a world mm-hmm. to see from one end of the universe to another it's just like how do you grow from that it's interesting many tag off that that it said of him that he was placed there to till the soil Right. Humility. Yeah. Humil. Mm. <laughs> well, you're our first get out of the day. <laughs> so this we're just getting started. started. <laughs> I just got here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Already flipped the tables. <laughs> Man. Wow. Take my serve Till the soil. And they acted arrogantly. So right. That makes me think about when... Uh, Thorns and thistles grew from the earth, and he talked about it. Just like the Egyptians, yeah. They they didn't want to do what they were supposed to do. They did their own thing. Yeah. So, that's what... By the sweat of the brow. Yeah. 
and there yeah. too it didn't work out. Yeah. You have some? Goodness. No. Continue reading. All right. That was uh, 24. And it, no, is it 24? Yeah, I think it's 24. And it was, when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him my Lord's words. And our father said, go back, buy us some food. We said, we cannot go down. Funny, he says, go, uh, he says, go back. They say we cannot go up down. Only if your youngest brother is with us, then we go then we'll then we will go down but we cannot see the man's face if our youngest brother is not with us then your servant my father said to us you know that my wife bore me two sons one has left me and i presume at last he has surely been torn to pieces for i have not seen him since you got I'm stuck on the dirt. <laughs> or stuck in the dirt, I should say. <laughs> because bear sheet 3, uh, 19 says, By the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread oh. and un until you oh, yeah. return to the ground from which you were created. Mm -hmm. So in other words, we were created humbly as well. Mm -hmm. So we were supposed to be. So really what Mashiach is telling us in Matthew 11, which is where he talks about that at, is he's actually saying, you know, I want to create you anew from you taking on my yoke. Just mm -hmm. the same way the first Adam was made, you know, I'm going to, if you humble yourself and take my yoke upon you, you're also going to be brought up from the dust, mm -hmm. like the first Adam. And then um, also one of the Psalms of the Hallel is Psalm 113. And I think it's so interesting because Mikael has made a song about this, Mekimi, Mekimi, Mayafar Dal. He raises up, he raises up the poor from the dust. Mm -hmm. And so that word is all about the, the one who's humble. Oh. And he that's the person he raises up. Oh. So now we're looking at resurrection with Mashiach. How humble was he to be raised up after bearing the sins of the world? Mm -hmm. And then how humble does he want us to be when we're taking his yoke upon us? And then here, uh, and at the original time of the curse from eating from the tree, the commentary footnote on that verse 319 says this curse did not last forever as the land ceased to produce these things in the days of Noah, like the days of Mashiach. Mm. Mm. Because remember, Noah's actual name, if you look at the Midrash says, is Menachem, yeah. which yeah. is the name of Mashiach. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Another connection. You know, when you, when you tag off that, the uh, humility of the Messiah, who is Torah say, as all scriptures say, the most humble man of all was the person who gave us the Torah. Right. Moshe. And they couldn't tell whether he was a man or an angel. Yeah. <laughs> you read the commentary. <laughs> yeah. White. Something I did key off on uh, that you were reading a second ago about we will not go down. What verse was that? 
Okay. Uh, we cannot go to 26. We cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face if our youngest brother is not with us. Which is 26. Yeah, so this verse right here, they actually had a drop on um, being guarantors. And that was uh, what gave us the merit to have Torah. Uh, for some reason, I can't spell guarantor. Guarantor. There we go. I'll take that. Okay, this is from uh, Tractate Shavuot 39a. It says the Gemara asks, and with regard to all the other transgressions in the Torah, is punishment not exacted for the entire world? That's a whole thing right there. I'm going to speed bump over that. It says, but isn't it written, and they shall stumble upon one another, Vayikra 2637. This verse is homiletically interpreted to mean that they shall stumble spiritually, one due to the iniquity of another, which teaches that the entire Jewish people are considered guarantors for one another. Apparently, any transgression makes the entire world liable to be punished. So, looking at this whole thing about the guarantor for one another, you see that uh, Yehuda here is leading all of his brothers because literally the reason uh, Yehuda is the one that's speaking is because they're all in agreement with him. Mm -hmm. So now you have the ten all in agreement about uh, Benjamin. Mm -hmm. When the ten were not in agreement about Yosef as far as like him being the ruler, mm -hmm. they were in agreement as far as like taking him out, but not they didn't agree to his rulership. But now they're in agreement to preserve the younger brother of Yosef, mm -hmm. unlike the way that they didn't preserve Yosef. So when we look at this verse, uh, I, I love the fact that this shows one of the biggest parts of their teshuva is that them formerly being in agreement about killing Yosef. Now they're, now they're in agreement about preserving Benjamin and with the regret that they did not do this for Yosef. Mm -hmm. because like the whole pledging and everything that had to take place back in me Kate's mm -hmm. like, no, like take one of our sons or mm -hmm. if, if I, we don't bring them back. And it's just like, Oh, you didn't do this for Yosef, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, well, we're going to do it for Benny. <laughs> That's what, uh, the Kate Holt says in the kits that it was to redeem the brother's decision to essentially kill him, do away with him that he took uh, Benjamin and had them in agreement to save him, wow. to redeem that situation, wow. to bring them into their higher so, mission. So, so let me just make sure I'm getting this straight, is that Yehuda is now taking the lead yeah. in not only recognizing or approaching Yosef, but saving Benjamin, and everyone else is following him. Yeah. I have a I have a tag here, and I, it might be just going back just a second to what Joe originally read. But according to the Orachim, when Yehuda comes close to Yosef, Orachim brings out that um, he had to draw close emotionally to Yosef. And in fact, it says it literally says that uh, he had to place Yosef in the chamber of his heart. 
Mm. What? Yeah, so let me, let me read this. had to play it's, Yosef in the chamber. Yeah, of let me read. It's a little long, but uh, there's a lot in here. And I'm sitting here reading this one. What is going okay. on? Okay. <laughs> um, so the, the verse says, The Yehuda drew near to him can be explained in line with that which is stated. As water reflects a face back to a face, so is one's heart reflected back to him by another. A person's attitude toward his fellow man will be reflected in that person's attitude towards him. Therefore, Yehuda wisely sought to turn Yosef's heart to be compassionate towards him. And in order to accomplish this, Yehuda drew near to him. That is, he deliberately drew his own affections and will close to Yosef to love him and hold him in esteem so that Yosef's affections should be drawn closer to his, and he should be inclined to accept his words and appeasement. Yehuda had to make a conscious effort to do this, because Yehuda thought that Yosef was an Egyptian idolater, and the children of Yaakov huh? do not naturally hold <laughs> idol worshippers in esteem. For it says, For the staff of wickedness shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. That's Tehillim 125.3. And in fact... It is in their nature to despise the type of depraved people that lived in Egypt in those times, whom Scripture disparages as, quote, those whose flesh is as of the flesh of donkeys. It was therefore necessary okay. for Yehuda to temporarily overcome his natural inclination and to draw Yosef nearer in his heart and place him in the very chambers of his own heart, as it were. Thus, the phrase, then Yehuda drew near to him, does not refer to drawing near to Yosef physically, the physical sense, but to become, but becoming close to Yosef in an emotional sense. He said, water, as water reflects a face? Yeah, as, 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 a, as water reflects a face back to a face. Oh, wow. So is one's heart reflected back to him by another. Wow. Reminds me of uh, Yeshua's words. Yeah. Living water. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm thinking too, you know, it's, it says here that they, they naturally saw Yosef as a, an Egyptian idolater. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how they viewed him. And Yehuda has to take the lead here and says, i got to draw close. i got to bring him into my heart here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think about that. So wait, so he's saving an idolater? Or is an idolater saving him? An idolater mm. saving him. Oh, what he perceives as an idolater. Right, right. I'm thinking about that when the prophets talk about, we'll look upon the one that, that we pierced and mourn as one yeah. born a child. Mm -hmm. I'm know? also thinking about in Shemuel, where he says, you know, man, men look on the outer, but God looks on the inner. They're looking at this guy as <laughs> a pharaoh wannabe, a, pharaoh's, a little baby oh, pharaoh. Yeah. Baby right. pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> Mini pharaoh. Yeah. <laughs> Pharaoh's son, or something yeah, like Pharaoh's that. Son. <laughs> ben Pharaoh, something like that. You know. But so anyway, now that's that's hyped up when we think about the hands of the hands of Asaph, but the oh. voice of the voice of Yaakov. Oh. Mm. Inward. Because Yosef took on that inward. prophecy, like he's oh, covered wow. up. Yeah, the inward and the outward. Wow. I did have. One little interesting insight. Jeez. And it comes from this verse. I've never seen this before, but it's very interesting. 27. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me 
two sons. Mm. So to me, this is quite beautiful because it, it kind of gives the idea of womanhood. I know we're all men here, but uh, it's saying that that woman bore him two sons. As in, she didn't do this out of obligation. She bore him two sons because that's what he desired. Because that's what made him a father. That's what he wanted. And as a man, yeah, that's what we want. We want children. Because children are a blessing. And yet, we can't do that by ourselves. We need the, the wife to do that for us. So, it, to summarize, she gave him sons in love. Not in grunging, not... Oh, you got me pregnant. No, this was uh, a <laughs> loving great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you know of such things. You it's your it. fault. <laughs> Look what you did to me. <laughs> but this was a loving. She she loved her pregnancy. She loved these kids, and she loved giving it to Yosef. She didn't have the stingy mindset. This is my child, but she understood that this child is a gift to my husband. That's to me. That that's the insight that I get. It's very beautiful. It goes a long way to saying about Leah, and I'm just blown away by that. I've never seen that before. She gave she, uh, you know, my wife bore me two sons. Very interesting. It seems like a gift there. Anything else? All right. Okay, I'll tag to that. All right. Uncle Os <clears throat> brings down some Rashi and Ramban on it. Uh, one of the phrases here it says because Rachel was the mainstay of the house. Okay. Mm. So she, so Rachel, which is the younger sister, mm -hmm. she was the chief of the house. Mm -hmm. Okay. And why would the younger be the chief over the older? Just like in every single case that we read, Yitzhak. Younger than Yishmael, uh, Yaakov, younger than Asaph, or they're twins actually. Um, Yosef. So were Rachel and Leah, weren't they twins? Yes. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Uh, Peretz and Zara. Mm hmm. They were twins. But there's always this idea that even though they're twins, which one came first? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because uh, Asaph like, came f first out of there, Yaakov was hanging onto his heel. Then Peretz uh, broke through, but Zerach actually stuck his hand out first. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting insight about uh, Yosef and Benjamin being of the same soul. Let's see if I can find that. There was a question about the timeline on when Yosef had his dream and when Benjamin was born because it talks about they were in Shechem of course Shechem is where Dina the, the, the situation with Dina uh, and and then the dream when he tells his father because he says you know the 12 stars the moon and and the sun bowed to me and they and Yaakov interpreted you do you think me and your mother uh, will bow to you and so I'm like wait 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 with the time frame if Benjamin is born already then Yosef's mom is passed on but if it's before Benjamin then she's still there 
And so I'm kind of confused about does had did Yosef actually see Benjamin before you know this? I don't think that he did. I'm not really Benjamin sure. Benjamin named his children after Yosef. He had never seen him. That's, right. He named them during things they would have uh, experiences they would have had together had they been together and seen each other. Yeah. All of his ten children. And apparently Benjamin was not around for uh, the selling of Yosef. Right. So, <clears throat> as far as the timing of how that would work, because Yosef was able to stand in front of his mother, Raquel, before uh, when they met with Esau. Mm -hmm. So it was after that that the whole Shechem thing happened. Mm -hmm. So... And right after Shechem would have been the whole, like, okay, so now they get away from Shechem, they settle in Beersheba, Yaakov gets back with to see Yitzhak before Yitzhak passes. Mm -hmm. And at that point is when uh, the brothers sell Yosef. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely some kind of time uh, space there for when did Raquel have her child and die and Benjamin, you know, because he was nursed, or he was nursed by uh, Raquel's uh, sister, or the servant okay. of hers that she took. I think it was Bill or Zippa, one of those okay. two, because they took over nursing him. So Yako or Yosef would have had to get taken uh, while Benjamin was still a baby. Yeah, not able to really comprehend or anything. Like first one or two years, maybe. Okay. Actually, maybe before, too, because babies are pretty intuitive, too. Mm. And you usually remember stuff. Mm. I thought that yeah. was interesting because when I when I tried to imagine myself in their shoes and trying to feel what they feel and understand what they understand, it makes a big difference when Yosef didn't even know he had a brother from his mother. And, of course, this is going. he's going to have to hear that his mother is deceased now, but there's a younger brother, and... I'm sure he was yearning to see this person that from the same mother, same father, uh, and then to see him. I'm I'm sure that was very. That's overwhelming. interesting too because he cried at, at Raquel's tomb. Okay. So he knew his mom got buried on the road. Hmm. I don't know if you remember this discussion. This question. It's a very difficult question. I don't know if it's appropriate here because I usually do difficult one-on-one <laughs> -on -one because to me, I don't want to cause anyone to stumble or somebody say, oh, you know, there's no answer. This is all hoax. So I always say those hard questions for like people I know. If you don't, you don't know, you don't know, but you, you'll find out. And you're not going to quit until you find out, you know, stuff like that. But some people, they get stomped and they just, I don't know, they just fall. But uh, I, but remember we talked about you know how we had this idea there's one man for one woman and so forth and so on, and the question I asked you well if this this is true you God makes one 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 man and one woman to be a hot one who is uh, Jacob's one wife was it you know Bilhah Zilpah was it Leah was oh it, yeah. The, the sages bring down it, it's Leia. Like, that's Leia. why she was buried with him. And mm -hmm. then, so the counter-argument is, but did Yaakov know that? Because from his standpoint, he wanted Rachel. He was in love with Rachel. 
He was head over heels with Rachel. That's the one. If you look at it from his eyes, that's the one he wanted. He really didn't care for Leia. Yeah. But she ended up being like the biggest contributor to the six. Yeah. She she bore six all by herself. But you can see the argument. And then the question is, what about David? Which one of his wives <laughs> were for him? Was it Shlomo's mother? Which happens to be... Yeah. Because there's a commentary talking about Bathsheba. Yeah. Because um, <clears throat> this, is, this is really crazy to me. And I still, to this day, don't really get it. But they talk about the sin wasn't what David and Bathsheba did. It was the sin of... Sending Uriah out to uh, get him killed in the front line. It was one of his trusted mighty men. Yeah. It's a betrayal, like Judas style. Never thought about that connection. (laughs) Well, okay then. But yes, I mean, it's... uh, So there's this this element too that... uh, To just kind of go with what you're talking about. So remember Potiphar's wife, Mm -hmm. she knew... That she was going to be in Yosef's family. Mm-hmm. Like, she's going to have progeny from him. But she didn't realize it was her daughter and yeah. not her. Yeah. So yeah. there's still that understanding where you can still know that you're supposed to be a cod with somebody. Mm. But it's kind of like the clarity and the perception on it. Is it actually me or is it down the line? or Is it my twin? Right. Yeah. <laughs> How like, is that supposed to like, work Like, I've seen... I mean, like Yitzchak looking at uh, Esau. Oh, this guy's got to be a great guy. He sees down the line greatness in him. But he doesn't know this guy is a, <laughs> yeah. a scoundrel. Yeah. Well, it's got to be one because I think, because the Zohar says that um, a married couple, that a, a man and a woman, there are two souls separated. Right. Not multiple. Other than two. Get you some. Two. So then the question after that would be, you know, so if we ever go through life and we may figure out, like, is it this person or is it that person? At that point, it becomes, how do you how do you get the right perspective? How do you get the right clarity? You know, that's because that's really your only answer to that question. Because Hashem did create one, you know, one soul and he made the man and the woman. So they could bring that soul back together. Yeah, that's part of our mission. To that's find part of our mission to find it. And what does it say? The uh, the glory of kings is to search it out. Mm-hmm. Search out mm-hmm. it, yeah. You know. So going back to Yosef, I mean, going back to Yaakov, Leah, Rachel. Which one is for him from Shemaim? You say the sages say, and I I don't disagree with them. Okay. But there's also an argument that could be made for Rachel. Why Rachel? Because mm-hmm. she bore Yosef, who's like Mashiach. If it wasn't for this union, we wouldn't know so much about Mashiach. Right. So why do we say, Leah, why not Rachel? He was in love with her from his standpoint. This is the one. This is the one. This other one's a constellation prize, yes. And these two concubines, you know, they're my concubines. They're not really my wives. <laughs> that goes into wow. another question: What's a concubine? Wow. What's a wife? But, but why <clears throat> not? Why why not Rachel? Why isn't she considered by the sages as the one that Adonai had to be one? Yeah. Well, again, I mean, that's that's still a bigger thing. 
<clears throat> to bring out the, the treasure trunk of, uh, of insights on that. First of all, there is a Zohar that talks about <clears throat> Raquel and Leah being uh, two parts of the Shekinah. There's a upper Shekinah and a lower Shekinah, just like there are two Memtets. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is that Bilha and Zilpah were given full status as Jewesses before they married Yaakov. So they were literally considered Jewish wives and not just concubines. Interesting. And the other thing is that <clears throat> Leah, because she knew she was going to be married to Asaph, cried so much, did so many penitential prayers, so much like just weeping and fasting before Hashem, that she would not marry Asaph because he was a wicked person. In the merit of the years of her doing that, she actually was able to be married to Yaakov. On the two sides of that, one of them is the trickery that Levon did to that, mm -hmm. which another cap ties to that is Raquel consented to it because she gave the secret codes to Leah. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Leah got put in this position, you looking at all of her crying, her tears before Shem and her prayers, then the trickery of Levon, then the support of her sister, then on top of that, on the other side, Yaakov took the blessing, the birthright, and all of that from Esau. So what belonged to Esau now belongs to Yaakov. Mm, interesting. Which would have included Leah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so I mean, you got all of that to do with. So what are you trying to say? To if with, I can you know? get somebody to give me their birthright, I don't even want to finish this thought, but you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know how you're going to do that. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I don't know why you would want to do that. No, one is enough when to pull your hair out. Yeah, yeah right? birthright-wise. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's it's a very, this is, this is why one of the coolest things about Torah is like all the deeper levels and the mystical things that keep us from just kind of staying stuck in this one little groove and this one little channel. You know, because if we if we stay stuck in Leah's the, the the only wife that was meant for Yaakov, you know, because one man and one woman should be together, then we're gonna lose all this other information. But at the end all we do know who's in the tomb with right. Yaakov. This is true. You know, and those who are in those tombs, those are the ones who were supposed to be together. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot to be said for uh, meriting favor, and look at Hannah having Shemuel. Yeah. Baron. Oh, that's another one. Which one is his real wife? Is it, you know, Hannah or the other one? Yeah, because that other lady was just conceited. Yeah, she's pretty mean. Um, don't remember if I. Was, oh, I remember what I want to share. First of all, to tag on uh, Raquel. Where she died, it says Bereshit 48 uh, 7. <clears throat> when I came from Padan Aram, although this is Rashi talking here, he says, And although I trouble you to take me for burial to the land of Canaan, I did not do this for your mother, i.e., I did not take the trouble to bury her in a place other than that in which she died which was by the roadside, which I might easily have done since she died quite close to Bethlehem. So I love the fact that he brings up that he buried Raquel near Bethlehem. On the road. Right. And so 
basically we see that Raquel died before we get to the episode of where Yaakov is sold or Yosef is sold. Because in that Torah portion when he sold, it's called Jacob settled in the land. So the whole incident of Raquel dying, Benjamin being born, that was right before that whole time where uh, Yaakov got to settle okay. and Yosef gets sold. So he does know he has a brother. So yes, okay. Yosef knows he has a brother, but Benjamin doesn't. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Which would explain why Benjamin named his ten sons, all that, that stuff about Yosef. Long, bro long lost brother. Right. So then... The whole thing about Benjamin and Yosef being together is the Kehot Tumash 44.2 uh, where it says, put my goblet, the silver goblet, at the top of the youngest one's pack. Benjamin and Yosef were extremely similar in outlook. I love that. They were bound up to each other like one soul. Mm. By framing Benjamin, Yosef was creating a situation where his brothers could atone for their selling of him. When the brothers would put their own lives at risk to save Benjamin, it would be as if they were doing so to save Yosef. Mm -hmm. hmm. Rectifying. One other thing I wanted to say about what we were talking about, about the death of, uh, of Rachel, is from that I can see where we get some of our traditions on burial, right? Because everybody knows I just buried my mom, right? You know? mm -hmm. Uh, so one thing that it's apparent is you don't wait long. Right. He didn't embalm. Uh, he he buried her pretty soon after she died. So that's that's interesting. I take away from that. So I'm like, uh, I I didn't do that. I, I think it was like ten days from my mom's passing until mm -hmm. actually she's put in the ground. But there was no embalming. I mean, sure. Hey, there's no. We don't need to embalm her. The only reason why we didn't embalm her if we're gonna take her to Israel, we're not gonna do that. She died here. <laughs> she lived here. That's where she buried. Mm. So, may her memory be for a blessing. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. The other thing too about Raquel's tomb is this is where barren women go to pray. That's right. Yeah. You Interesting. Know, so, I've read a lot of stories about that. Jewish women who have trouble having children, they go straight to her tomb and <laughs> just shed tears, you know, and, and pray. And it's some of the miraculous stories of them all of a sudden being coming pregnant and things like that. It's 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 amazing. Mm. It's absolutely amazing. I know definitely we can pull away that that land is something special. I mean, I'm Dude, not sure if we can real. do that in this land. This land is, I love this land, first of all. Let me say, I love this land. Right. But it's not Israel. I mean, there's something mm -hmm. special. There's something special. There's I mean, a reason why Hashem land. said, take the tour land. and go to Israel and not take the tour and go to America. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, America's amazing, but. Yeah. Yeah. There's something special about Israel. Yeah, and, you know, what I was sharing with you a little while back, um, because in my world history class we were discussing Jerusalem and I was showing them a video and uh, we we're talking about the foundation stone um, I was sharing with my kids like why Jerusalem is important to Jews and I was sharing about the foundation stone and I was sharing with the Met the fact that you know the dome of the rock is built over the foundation stone mm -hmm. which is literally like a physical klipa it's a physical husk mm. concealing the stone so it's literally cutting off. It's trying to. It's a. It's an attempt to cut a off barrier. the blessing. It's a barrier. 
It's almost like uncircumcision. Mm, yeah. Oh, on the yeah. Temple Mount. Wow. And oh. Rabbi brought down <laughs> the visual on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and there's a couple other things too. The fact that you know Rabbi and his drosh a couple weeks ago talked about you know there should not be any trees near the altar, and there's a garden up there on the Temple Mount. There's trees and shrubbery and all kinds of stuff up there. Mm. And uh, you know I was I was watching this video with my kids and it was explaining you know why is Jerusalem important to the Muslims. And when they pray, they literally turn their backs on the foundation like stone. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, you have right now the spiritual force that's attempting to nullify and cut off um, just God's sheer power and presence there in the, in the Holy Land mm-hmm. um, for the sake of their own religion. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Like the spiritual battle that's going on right now is just immense. And most mm-hmm. people don't realize it. Well, if you're stuck at Starbucks and watching cat videos, then yeah, you're not going <laughs> to be aware of that. Uh, oh, goodness. <laughs> Starbucks. <laughs> wow. Uh, anything else? <clears throat> I think we're on 29. So should you take this one, too, from my presence and disaster befall him, then you will have brought down my what is this? Hoary head. Hoariness. Yeah. Hoariness and evil to the grave. Alright. Interesting. Grave. Now is that the word for Sheol? Sheol? Is mentioned here? Is this Sheol? Uh, 44 what do you mean? Uh, this is 29. The very last part. You will bring my <laughs> Horiness and evil to the grave. Sheol? Let's yeah, see. it does say to Sheol. Okay. Is this, uh, do we need to talk about the difference between Sheol and Gehenna? Uh, yeah, we can do that. Okay, because he doesn't say you'll bring me to Gehenna. Of course, right. the valley of the son of Anom is not, uh, is not on cultivated or just, you know, that. Is not there in his days. Um, it says in Ankylos, as long as this son is alive, he is my consolation for the loss of his mother and brother. Oh, mother and brother. Which I think is interesting. Yeshua ties together the mother and brother concept when he says, who are my mother, who are my brothers? Oh, yeah. So that's all connected with the will of Hashem, which is our consolation. And then it says, thus... If he would die, it would be as if I had lost all three of them at once. So he goes into that as far as you will have brought down my old age and misfortune to the grave. See what we got on Sheol here. I'll just read this one. I don't know where it's going. This is the Sefti Chacham, Chacham, okay, Chacham. Got a tag over there? Yeah, I got a tag. And it's from, as long as he is beside me, I find comfort through him. Rashi is answering the question, why is it written here that no account of Benjamin, as Jaco said, you will bring my white head down to the the grave in evil, whereas in 37, 35, 
it is written that Yaakov said a similar phrase on account of Yosef. Mm. It is written there, I will go down to the grave mourning for my son, Yosef. Rashi answers, because of Yosef, they indeed had already brought Yaakov down to the grave in mourning. But now, as long as Benjamin is beside me, I find comfort through him. Alternatively, Rashi is answering the question, why would Yaakov be more sorrowful for Benjamin than for Rachel, Yosef, or Shimon? Yeah, because it's the uh, <clears throat> it's the whole fact he's going to take away the only consolation that Yaakov has for losing uh, Ra ya for losing Raquel and Yosef. So like Raquel and Yosef are basically wrapped up in Benjamin, is what that's saying. It's interesting the timeline that he says uh, it would be as if I'd lost them all at once. Mm-hmm. But they all would have been at different times. Right. It's curious. Well, because you could look at that with the whole fact that Benjamin can also be mean son of days. Oh. And so the word being no. can also be uh, like builder, as a rabbi brought out yesterday from him and Chomo's talk, yeah. that uh, Boné or, or Bina can, uh, well, Bina is another word too for uh, understanding, but your Boné can be your, your builders <laughs> or it can also be your children. Hmm. So Ben is the root of that. And then you have Yamin, which is Aramaic for Yamim. Because in Aramaic, they take the mems at the end of a word and they make it into a noon. Oh. So the word Yamim, yeah, Yamin would be like right hand or right. And then Yamim would be the Hebrew version of that for days. Oh, oh Yamim. Like Yamim no Raim. Yeah, like days. Okay. Like when we say the days of all, Yomino Raim. So, like, literally, you can look at the building up of the days that have given consolation to Yaakov, which is Benjamin, but expanding his name out into the concepts we just brought down. Mm -hmm. Now you see that if he's taken away, it's like his days are taken away. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that makes a timeline all in one. Because you're taking all the days away. Wow. All right. I didn't read He's all the time. Verse 28, Orhan, <clears throat> um talks about um, one has left me and I presumed, alas, he has surely been torn to shreds and I have not seen him until now. It says the words ach, translated here as alas, is often expounded by the sages as a term that limits the scope of a statement. And they use the Ramez uh, way of looking at the scripture. It says, by saying ach, he has been surely torn to shreds. Yaakov unknowingly alluded to the fact that Yosef was, quote, torn to shreds only in a limited sense. <laughs> For he had suffered greatly, but was still alive and well. This was, in fact, true. For although Yosef remained separated from his home and his family, he was no longer in the predicament of being, being a slave or being imprisoned. 
as Hashem had rescued him from these troubles and elevated to the position of viceroy. And in keeping with this message, Yaakov concluded, and I have not seen him until now, a statement which implies that Yosef was still alive and that Yaakov would yet see him again, that just he had not seen him from the time he left home until now. And um, some of the commentary down here says, uh, Yaakov himself did not intend to convey this, for he did not know that Yosef had survived. Rather, Hashem placed these words in his mouth as a prophetic allusion to Yosef's actual state. When Yaakov was first told of Yosef's accident, he was shown Yosef's bloody tunic. He reacted with two statements. A savage beast has devoured him, and Yosef has surely been torn to shreds. So, it, it's interesting here, just just the utter connection to Mashiach, in that um, you have Yosef's bloody tunic, Yaakov crying out. You know, it talks about, you know, a beast has devoured him. It talks about, I believe it's in Psalms. Um, it says, wild animals hasn't have encircled me. Yeah. Psalm um, 22. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, Yosef has surely been torn to shreds, and Mashiach was, physically. Mm, but wow. he was alive and well. And they divided mm, his garment. And they divided his garment. Yep. That's also yeah. in the same psalm. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all right there in that psalm. Yeah. yeah. Um it's all it talks about my bones being out of joint and, yeah. and I grow weary, my spirit grows faint. They gamble for my um, clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this the 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 illusions here, um let's see. Um a wild beast has devoured him, which the sages of blessed memory have explained, according to Bereshit Rabbah 84.19, is referring to the wife of Potiphar, who tried to entice Yosef into sinning with her. Regarding this trouble, mm. there was no limitation, because Potiphar's wife did not intend, did not, in, did indeed, I'm sorry, I messed up, hang on. Regarding this trouble, there was no limitation because Potiphar's wife did indeed succeed in destroying a part of Yosef's legacy. Whoa. That is because although Yosef withstood her seduction due to our sins, okay, uh, the incident had a negative result in that she caused him to lose ten additional sons that would have been born to him. Oh. Whoa. For as the sages of blessed memory state, Soda 36b, Yosef was originally destined to father 12 tribes of his own, like his father Yaakov. But on account of the actions of the wicked woman, 10 drops of seed escaped from him. And as a result, Yosef fathered only two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Whoa. Wow. Many Okay. The 10 tribes, northern kingdom, they were separated out. And the, the 10 tribes two. were also the ones that got scattered first. Yeah. What? Yeah. Wow. Potiphar's wife. There's only two tribes left. Two tribes left. Two tribes, yeah. Wow. It seems like almost any time that a garment is rent, it has to do with the tribes. Whether it mm. was Samuel mm. and, and Saul. Oh. It was uh, this situation. It was... Because he uh, tore the kingdom from him when the... Yeah. And even oh my alluding gosh. to it, whenever uh, David cut Saul's yeah, the ZZ to help, yeah. ZZ. and he, you know, that came prophetic either, you know. And then it makes me wonder, well, what about um, 
when they divided Yeshua's garments. Yeah. Yeshua is divided up among the nations. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. That's why we're supposed to be That's making divine sparks. Yeah, like, that's when he was given over to the Gentiles. Mm. That's when. That's when. That's the moment when the brothers officially gave Yosef yeah. over yeah. to the Gentile nations and said, "Take him." Yeah, is when the Romans are tearing right. up his garment and throwing it dice. Was right for after him. that, he said, "It's finished." Right Ooh. after that. Ooh. Mm. Right after that. You know, I think and it's then you know what other Ooh. garment was tore. Right after he said that. <laughs> the oh, the, the temple oh, curtain. Yeah. Oh, broke it. <laughs> you know what? And it's interesting Jewish too books. that right there <laughs> at, uh, I, I believe, um, there's an illusion there that as the Romans are gambling, because it says they're using dice, correct? Yeah. Lots. I will lots. 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 So is it dice or is it something else? I don't yeah. know what lots are. We'll I think uh, figure that out. That's a good it's one. Something I think. Okay, okay. Uh, what we think of dots? I mean, what we think about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all seeing dots right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are seeing them. Connecting them. Oh, I am working. What picture comes out? Yeah. <laughs> well, we think about dice has dots on it, right? One for one and two. I think what they had had more like pictures on it, but I think it was very similar, wasn't it? Um, was it um, six sided? Was it multi sided? I'm not really sure. I, I guess it all depends. You know, it's interesting. Another time they were using those. Is whenever they were doing lots for uh, for uh, Jonah, oh, yeah. who went to the nations. Yeah. Seriously, on, <laughs> Seriously. The boat, yeah, on the boat. On the boat. I'm getting my song. <laughs> Should be getting a hatchet. <laughs> Jeez, man. Okay, so it's Yokanon 1924 says. First of all, they said they didn't want to tear the garment of Mashiach. That's interesting. Wow. But it had a lot of blood on it. Which is the same thing that the brothers did. Yeah. They didn't tear it. They just mm -hmm. put some blood on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. But going on, it says in the same verse, this is all Yokanon 1924. It says, let us decide by lot who will get it. Mm. This happened so that scripture might be fulfilled. Notice that they're calling the Psalms scripture. scripture. Yeah. <laughs> And it says, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. <clears throat> so, when it uses the word lots. Greek word, kaleros. Uh... All about casting. Oh, they get goral. So if we look up the Hebrew word goral, we can find our word. Thank you, lexicon. When we do get another open moment, I do have that uh, drop on Sheol and Gehenna. Okay. Ooh. These lots almost looks like the dreidel game. That makes sense. 
Because I don't know if you remember the drop I shared about the dreidel is Mashiach on a pole. No way. Yeah. Because oh. they said the dreidel is the wood. Like it has to be made out of wood. So there's a center post and the letters around that post is represents oh, Mashiach. Wow. Wow. <laughs> the olive to the top. The fullness of the Hebrew letters, the eight. Interesting. Yep. Okay. So, this other thing. <clears throat> this is Sefti Chachamim, right? Get you some. Now, this goes back. I, I'm not looking for this. I'm reading this. I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. This will go back. This is more ammunition for the punny. Sure. Okay. He's <laughs> <laughs> about to get born. Right, right. Of his mother and his brother, you might ask, how does Rashi know that it refers also to Rachel when she is not mentioned in the verses? The answer is, it is written in verse 27, Two sons were born to me by my wife, Rachel. This conveys two sons were born to me from her, and she is my wife, i.e. she especially is my wife, more than Leah, parentheses. This is, <laughs> this is because Jacob lived mainly with Rachel. He lived mainly mm. with her. This verse implies that he mourned for Rachel, but was comforted through Yosef. And when Yosef died, leaving Benjamin, he was comforted through him for both deaths. So saying that be, even though Rachel died, he, felt, he found comfort in his two sons. And when Yosef was gone and he thought to be dead, he found comfort in Benjamin. Well, you needed two but, sons to comfort him for one wife. <laughs> Interesting. But I wonder if when it's talking about that, if it mentions him as jo Joseph or as Israel. Oh, you're talking about... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Is it spiritual? Or, yeah. Is it his physical? Uh, Does it say uh, Israel or Jacob? Um, that might have been how Joseph felt about wow, it, but it spiritually say, speaking... Well, it says this is because Yaakov okay. lived mainly with Rachel. <clears throat> Yaakov lived with Rachel. Oh. Okay. His mama. He was comforted through the both. And if he dies, it will seem to me as if all three had died the same day. But it seems to me that the answer is, it is written here, you will bring my white head down to the grave in evil, whereas 4238, it merely is written, you will bring my white head down to the grave in sorrow. According to Yaakov was saying, Until now I found comfort for the loss of the mother, but now I will no longer be comforted for her. Thus I will go down in evil to the grave. This is because Chazal say, Yevamot, he who is without a wife is without good. Consequently, he is with evil maharsha mm -hmm. so this seems to me that uh that um rashi is uh he's more leaning to rachel was the the one and only 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to find an equal amount for both. Yeah. And I think it's kind of interesting because he did have two names. But that doesn't mean if I take another name, I need another wife. That's not what I'm saying here. <laughs> okay, let's put that out. That's not what I'm saying. But it's very interesting. Oh. <clears throat> so on our lots, the word goral is used for the first time in the context of Yom Kippur. Mm. So I was just reading that in Leviticus. Yeah, yeah come on. The scapegoat. Okay, Rukisha, yeah. you got some? No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Um, because we've already been talking about how Pesach and Yom Kippur are already, you know, in, inter, intertwined. So when we look at these uh, lots that the soldiers are casting for Yeshua's garment, uh, it says that you shall place the lots upon the two goats, one marked for the Lord and one marked for Azazel. Azazel. So it's interesting because you have... What's called in the Midrash Rabbah is the garment of God, the garment of the Lord, is the parochit. Oh. But they were not gambling for that one. They were gambling for Yeshua's garment. Yeah. So. <clears throat> the scapegoat. Yeah. And then we do know that there are two parochits uh, from our studies that we did on Tishbaav. So, but both of those got ripped uh, when the veil tore from the center down. So now we have the fact that uh, the scapegoat garments are the lots that are cast here. I just think that's really interesting when it comes to just looking at this garment that he also wore too is also for atonement. Because the garments of the high priests are garments of atonement. Mm. And we, he ripped his garment mm -hmm. in the trial. What more do we Kites. need to hear? Oh, okay. yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that because he was actually yeah. wearing the priestly garments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's not supposed to. And you're not supposed to rip them. Nope. He did. Okay. That's all I was gonna share. I was gonna look at. Of course, he's a Sadducee, so you know. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he was gonna die next Yom Kippur anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was brutal. We're not too frank. Make sure the rope's on his ankle. Ah, <laughs> oh, wow. It does seem like there's a confusion on who the high priest is. Is it Ananias or is it Caiaphas? Well, right. actually, before them, wasn't it? Uh, it was Yohanan. Yohanan, the Mercer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does seem like okay because we know Yohanan's dad is uh, Zachariah, and he's actually in the temple, so he's of the lineage. He's got, right. he's got yeah. the credentials. So it was mixed in there. It was wheat and tares in the temple. Mm. And, and the way it says, I think in uh, Matthew, it says that who the high priest was, and I think it names both of them, but yet it says, in the word of the Lord came to Yohanan. It's like, yeah. well, 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 why is it going in the wilderness to Yohanan and not to the high priest? Mm-hmm. And it kind of gives yeah. alludes that it because these these clowns aren't supposed to be in there. Yeah, <laughs> the real ones out in the desert. He's, he's mixing it up with the <laughs> which is the same thing today. The real Jews are out in the world. Yeah. So wait, so it says two names for the high priests. Let me, Where did let you me find pull that, that up. Because okay, yeah. it sounds like they're trying to imitate the two Mashiachs and trying to be one. Because there are supposed to be two high priests. There's the yeah. priest in order for war. Right. That's true. So if oh, the yeah. gospel account mentions a priest anointed for war, that would be ridiculous. 
All right, let me show my shield drop real quick. Okay. So this is Rashi on 3735 of Bereshit. He says, morning into the grave. It says, according to the literal meaning, Sheol means the grave. While I am still in the state of mourning, I shall be interred, i.e. even to the day of my burial, I shall mourn. So this is when they took Yosef. So that was one thing. And he says, and I shall not be comforted all my life. The Midrash explains it to refer to Gehenna. This omen has been given me by God. If none of my sons die during my lifetime, I may be assured that I shall not see Gehenna. Medrash Tankuma Vayigash 9. So the reason it's using Sheol is because he's saying, if I lose one of my sons, I will go to Gehenna. So he's saying, you will have brought my hoary head down into the grave. To the ground. Yeah, you literally will take me to Gehenna if I lose one of my sons. Like, you will be responsible for sending me to Gehenna. Because the promise is brought down that I will not lose any of my sons. And if I do, that, that is a sentence for me to go to Gehenna. Wow. Which is kind of steep because it's just kind of like, okay, so this omen has been given to me by God. If none of my sons die during my lifetime, I may be assured that I shall not see Gehenna. So in other words, this is a promise from Hashem. You're going to have 12 tribes and you're they're all going to be righteous. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, but there's a contingency, it seems like, where somehow that can be broken. But yet we know at the same time, whenever Hashem says something and promises it, he's going to do it. Mm -hmm. Except when it's a negative decree. Yeah. I.e., tell Nineveh, yeah. I'm about to take him out. And then he didn't take him out. But Pure Cater Ezra brings down forty years later, the people reverted and he destroyed them. You think it was so heavily weighted, uh Yosef's um feeling towards Yaakov was so heavily weighted because he was in his image? Mm. Yeah, I mean his whole family basically rested upon Yaakov or Yosef. So it's like, if I don't Yosef, have Yosef, yeah. I don't have anything. Yeah. You found it? Uh, I found uh, Matthew 26, 46, where it talks about the chief priest renting his garment. Um, Does it say that's Caiaphas? Uh, you know, I didn't look. It just said, it just, I made note that that's, it was mentioned in 26, 46. And I'm going to Psalm 22. It says in verse 18. 19, if you have a Tanakh. It says, uh, they divide my garments among them. My strength hurry to my aid. That's interesting. When Esther decided to go to the king, even though she had not been invited for a month, those in the palace assumed the king would be angry with her and sentence her to death. They began to claim her possessions. One person says, I'll hmm. take her garments. Another oh. said, I'll take her ornaments. Hence, they divide my garments among them and cast my lots. Hmm. Yeah. 
Mm. Okay. That, that's just uncalled for. One thing that I am finding is in like in Mark's 1033, it says chief unto the chief priests with an S, meaning more than one. And it's like, it's in like, it's in 1033, 1118, all with S's, 1127, the chief priests, which I'm like, wait, hold on, chief priests or priest? But it's yeah, every every time it's a with chief a priest with an S. I'm just noticing that in Mark. Okay, so you you wanna do Mark or Matthew? Which one you want? Uh um, let's do Mark. Ten thirty three. <coughs> I'm in Matthew we'll in up. case you wanna double check it. Okay, what's the Matthew reference since uh, he's over there? The one uh I think it was twenty six forty six. And then Mark 10, 33. Yeah. Uh, and then 27 is right here. About Caiaphas? Or well, about him renting his cart garment. Yeah, that's 27. Is it 27? Yeah, it says uh, the high priest tore his robes. Is it with an S or a single? Single. Okay. But yet, Mark 10, 33 shall be delivered unto the chief priests. There's a difference, though. Is there a difference between the chief priests and the high, and the high priest? priest? Yeah, that's a good question. Because I think the chief priests are probably the Kohanim. Because the... I've seen on Mark 14.47, And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high, the high priest. priest. I think and that's single. The... Chief okay. priests, I think, are potential high priests in line, aren't they? Interesting. I actually don't know on that one. <clears throat> what Matthew passage are you? Oh, okay. Well, Twenty-six. You know. Twenty-six. Way down there, like forty-nine, verse forty-nine, twenty-six. Uh, on forty-seven, it says. Yep. From the chief of from the chief priests. Is that single or? Plural. It says plural. Yeah. Uh, the word used in Matthew twenty six forty seven and on Mark ten thirty five are the same word, and it says that this word literally means the Kohen Hagadol, mm. the preeminent one, the Mark, leader of the priests. Mark fourteen fifty three is interesting, and it says, and they led Yeshua away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. Okay, so we do know, first of all, with the priests, there was a rotation of them. Yeah. Right, like 24, I believe. Mm-hmm, because there are, there are all the different shifts that go on throughout the year. And uh, there's always a rotation that's available. So when it comes to saying who's the chief priest, that would have to be the one that stands out from among all the ones that are in the rotation. And Mark 14, 63 says, Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, What need we any further witnesses? 
I don't know if around there it speaks of who he is, gives his name. Yeah, I think that's where we go with Caiaphas because he's the only one of the priests that are mentioned. You said Mark, uh, what again? Oh, snap. Uh, I think 1463, the high priest rent. Yeah, the high priest rent his clothes, saying. Yep, okay, same word. So that's the same word that's used in our previous two passages we brought up. Okay. <clears throat> yep, and then it says Caiaphas is also this one. Uh, Matthew 26, 57. Okay, so basically what we'd be looking at is that with all the different priests that would be rotating in, during this whole time frame it specifically is during the the rotation of Caiaphas that Yeshua is brought up on these false charges and they're taking him out because remember they tried day after day to take him mm -hmm. you know but then they were trying to wait for the opportune time right and so when the opportune time came who was on duty Caiaphas so there has to be something with Caiaphas I wonder how long the rotation is. I will say this. This is very interesting, controversial. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, okay. this is John eleven fifty one, And it says, And this he spake, he, not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied. Kepha, I should have known. That Yeshua should die yeah. for that nation and, and the person that's talking about is Caiaphas. For that year. It's it's just cool. It's so we got a Kepha that's in the Cohen Gadol spot and then we got a Kepha that's a Talmud. And both of them are gonna deny Mashiach. Wow, that's amazing. I've never seen that before, yeah. Cause you always pronounce him Caiaphas, like there's a difference, but yeah, now that I look at it, Kepha. <laughs> Kepha. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at his name. Wow. As commonly. It means a stone, a rock. <laughs> so this was the son-in-law of Annas? Annas? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so there was a relationship. Oh. Yeah. So there's an idea that... Ananias or Ananias? Uh, Annas? Is that what his name is? Wait, what are you reading? I'm just looking up the the information on Caiaphas from from Wiki. It's um, looking at some of the sources, trying to figure out because apparently there's a relationship between the two, and I didn't know that. Between Kepha and Ananias. Yeah. Yeah. See, so I think the relationship is the father-in-law. <laughs> Ananias the priest? So maybe it yeah. is Annas. Probably somebody like like he's a descendant or something with Ananias. Just the way that Yochanan was the son of Zechariah. Yeah. So it's it's almost see what I one one thing that I read said he was a son in law, so that means this guy married <laughs> Annas' daughter and now somehow he's entitled to the, the high priesthood. Mm-hmm. There's been that, because now we're getting into Parashat Amor, where it talks about, you know, the relatives and the, who can have Taruma, who can't, who can marry into the family, and, like, 
are converts allowed to be Cohen's and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Can we swerve for just a second? I was trying yeah. to go back to the two par- parochets. Mm-hmm. Is the one, the first one, separating the holiest? Luke 3 2. From the holy? Mm hmm. That's it. And then the second one is right on the front of the. Um, Oh, the entrance to the holy place? Yeah. yeah. There is a veil there, but that's not called a parochet. Like, there's literally two parochets to get into the Holy of Holies. Oh, back-to-back parochets. Mm-hmm. Right there. They say that they don't know if it... <laughs> they say they don't know if it was like this, where you had to kind of go this way to get in there, or if they were truly in front of each other. Oh. Zigzag or just yeah. parallel, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is they're five handbreadths thick. Yeah. So we're talking some Amazing. massive fabric. Yeah. And they were tore from the bottom. Wasn't it the bottom up? Top. Top, Top to down. the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because the question is, if you if you say it was ripped from the bottom to the top, that means Human a could've man could have done it. Yeah. Okay, I found it. Ooh. Luke 3-2. Luke 3-2. Yeah. I'm going to let you read it because somebody might think, oh, man, Bacardi's making stuff up. He's had too much Bacardi. He's had too much Bacardi. He's already (laughs) drunk. (laughs) He's just making stuff up. (laughs) All right, let me turn off any linear for a second. And let's get straight to the... In the 15th year... Are you going back to verse 1? Yeah, I'm just giving, okay. us, yeah, giving yeah. us a little context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. Give me my chapter. I know when you're recording, the worst thing to have is dead air. It's like the worst enemy. So you want to like <laughs> sing songs or something between. Okay. It says, so this is all about Yochanan the Immerser at the Jordan. It says, it was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of the Galil and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Trachonitis. And all these weird words. Yeah. Lasanias was tetrarch of Abilene, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> During the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas. Annas and Caiaphas. Okay, so during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came upon Yochanan, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Yeah. So the okay. question is, which one is the high priest? But then it then it just shifts to, you know who Yohanan is. He's the son of Zechariah. You know who Zechariah is. He's a real priest. And the word of the Lord is going to him, not to these clowns in the, you know, serving in the temple, but into the wilderness. Well, according to this, it says, uh, Anna's father-in-law of Caiaphas, which is John 1813, uh, had been high priest from 86 to 15 and continued to exercise a significant influence over Jewish affairs. Mm-hmm. Annas and Caiaphas may that have sympathized with the Sadducees, a religious movement in Judea that found most of its members among the wealthy Jewish elite. The comparatively long 18-year tenure of Caiaphas 
suggest Whoa. he had a good working relationship 18? with Roman authorities. Yeah. Wait, a working relationship with Roman authorities? Yeah. Yeah. That's not good. That doesn't sound like Matthew, where he did not have a good working course. relationship with the Grecians. Uh-uh. It's kind of quite the opposite. But I can understand. I mean, there are chief rabbis who have good working relationship with, you know, the Pope, per se. By the way, that's a thing they're doing today, where a lot of the Jewish rabbis who are like, yeah, it's totally good, and they're trying to be in cahoots with... Then you said some stuff? His name is Joseph? Caiaphas' name is Joseph? What? Joseph Caiaphas? Wow. High priest, 18 to 36 CE. Oh, come on. At the time of Jesus' activity and crucifixion. This is from the <laughs> Jewish Virtual Library. The stone the builders are Jewish. Yeah. Just setting that up. Or maybe this is the fake stone. Because the fake stone usually comes before the real stone. Right. There's always a fake. Just yeah. like today, it's either Christianity or, or Judaism. Oh. And you, and you even think, which before Yeshua was in issues. Historical yeah. sources indicate the influential priestly background of Joseph Caiaphas. He was the son-in-law of Anon, son of Seth. A member of the powerful and important priestly family in Jerusalem. The Mishnah speaks of a high priest named Elioenei, I don't even know how to pronounce that, who may have been the son of Joseph Caiaphas. And another source from the Talmud mentions the house of Kaifa as a high priestly family. Although Caiaphas was high priest at the time of Jesus' arrest, he does not seem to have played a major role in the matter. Okay. <laughs> no. Nah. I, I know from, from what I remember, he wasn't very fond. People want, didn't like Caiaphas or Caiaphas. Wait, okay, so... Okay, um... Jesus was taken to the house of Anan ben Seth, that's John 18, 12 through 13, only later being brought to Caiaphas, yeah. who is reported to have said, it is better for you that one man die for the nation than the entire nation be lost, which is in John. The quotation is adapted from a rabbinical statement in Genesis Rabbah 94, 9. But take that statement in light of his pro- prophecy that he had. Yeah, that he was a prophet. That he said this not of himself. It's almost saying that Adonai is forming his mouth to say these things. Right. He's honoring the role. Yeah. The position. Yeah. Even though the person that's in it is so what wicked. Is, what is that? That's a to me is like, oh my goodness! Like, how does he do this? The, the person is because we we look we look through these lenses these eyes right and we say okay we make a deci- decision this guy's wicked it's, it's evident but yet god says yeah even though he's wicked he still has my words in his mouth i, I don't understand it it blows my mind well like Pero, there were okay. some things he said that were prophetic yeah yeah <clears throat> and then when later on he was uh most likely it was him faced with uh uh, Nineveh, <clears throat> he remembered that prophecy. He remembered what happened. 
And that's why everybody rep uh, repented in sackcloth and ashes. Nice. And e even crazier, we look at uh, the king of Bavel. Uh, oh, Nebuch yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. And yep. this, this guy is wicked. I mean, if we were Jews living in that, that day, we said, no, this guy is totally, absolutely wicked. But yet when we read in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a whole chapter that he writes in, in Daniel. And I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on. Why is this wicked king writing in this holy book? It blows my mind. I don't understand. Because in my mind, I think holy people write holy things. Unholy <laughs> people write, uh, you know, all kinds of scrupulous things. Um. Well, you think of it in light of the fact that um, Hasatan, cursed be he, is in the throne room. Okay. Talking before Adonai and Hashem's, you know, asking him questions and conversing with him and talking about, what about my servant this? And... Mm. What are you up to? There were uh, 24 rotations of the priests. Uh, it talks about this in Mishnah Tractate Bikurin. Which is interesting because it wasn't that way before David. David changed it unto that. Which is interesting because David changed the priesthood to this rotation and the 24 if, rotation yeah because there's because i think the rotation is okay uh it, it, it's sons right uh and <clears throat> so if you're if you're from this tribe you could serve one this there's, there's at least one for every month for two years so every two years you would you it would be thinking that you could you know, do service in in the temple. Does that make, am I making sense here? Or am I just um, I had to stop and think? Like, okay, twenty four. That's two years. So if I'm in this tribe, that means I I serve every two years. I do service. Oh, okay, every okay. So the twenty four would be the twenty four months. Yeah, in two years. Which is two years. So every lot, mm -hmm. every month would have a different tribe. Someone from there to go light incense or whatever well that, that would be the levites right so the levite itself would have different divisions of that tribe go because when the levites aren't serving in a temple they're supposed to travel throughout israel to go teach the word basically well then uh annas or caiaphas whoever had the 18 year tenure Caiaphas. Yeah, a little greedy. A little greedy oh, on his time. Yeah, he's the longest, he? they said it was the longest running high priest. Hey, I got voted the in the sun. The yeah, son? Yeah. <laughs> it was Look at the son that was you know, the longest? I'm high priest again. The son of all, yeah. Okay. I thought it was the father. Mm -hmm. And that he held such regard that even though he wasn't the high priest that Caiaphas, Caiaphas was, that still they would uh, refer back to him. Oh, this is that, that uh, dead air that we 
talk about this. Mm-hmm. Do, do anybody have questions on your uh, podcast? Oh, yeah. After it shut down, I just decided <laughs> there's too much going on to try to keep rebooting that oh, thing. Okay. So forget about. Uh, I just forget that. Okay. That air is just us. Okay. <laughs> just us. Okay, cool. Then we can ask really hard questions. Like, <laughs> is it Leia or Rachel? Is it Mecha or is it um, Shlomo's mom? So y'all might have already um, talked about this, but <clears throat> I was trying to um, maybe draw on some similarities with tag after you. The uh, the brothers not drinking wine until they're together with Yeshua. Ooh, mm. come on! And drinking wine till he returns or is revealed. You know Yeshua saying that. Mm-hmm. I know there's a bunch of stuff there. I just. So like, so, okay, rephrase your question. Um, what are the main similarities there? The main uh, parallels with those two instances of, of not drinking the wine, not drinking wine until they're together again. Well, the, the interesting thing about one of the, the distinct differences is that we're still drinking wine while Yeshua is not. Yeah. So... <clears throat> that would be an interesting point to kind of look into because Yeshua said, I won't drink this cup mm. again until I renew it with you. Yeah. You know, and then you got the, the difference of the years. Like it was 22 years with Yosef. And so there was this, this picture here that we don't know how many years it's going to be until we renew it. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that we don't get to make the libation offerings, mm-hmm. which are the wine. Which the wine offering. Which would be us partaking of that wine and Mashiach partaking of that wine. Because in the temple, that libation offering that we pour out, we pour that out on the altar mm-hmm. with the sacrifices, mm-hmm. which are called Hashem's food. Right. Is that the part it mentions in the offering, the quarter hen? Uh, yeah. That's the libation. Right. Oh. And if I'm, Which, by the way, we don't get to do right now. Right. Until right. we renew it again. And if I'm right, the Kohen, the Kohanim could also eat the 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 leftovers of the food of God. They yeah. have to eat of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. that was the thing in Shemuel's days that uh, Ellie had two sons and the people would offer um, boiled meat. I don't know about that, but... I think that's what it was, and they would stick their spear in there and take whatever they oh, wanted sons, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah rambunctious. <laughs> the other thing too, you think about the. Uh, it's also a time of mourning and not rejoicing because wine is used for like these uh, occasions of joy and things uh-huh. like that. So, you know, with the brothers and the whole family being separated, is this wine stuff? Mm-hmm. Okay, you can say tag. <laughs> We're just pulling stuff out the air, <laughs> trying to connect all this stuff. I'm listening. If you whatever you, I want to hear what it. Is. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. Miketz. Locked and loaded. What is this? Art scroll. Kumash with Talmud. Teachings of the Talmud. All right. Kumash. Avoided wine until now. From the day that Yosef had separated from his brothers, he did not drink wine, since the Torah refers to him as a Nazir. Mm. Among okay. his brothers. Among his brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, 
Additionally, <laughs> what was he, we know that he just this, looked like, yeah. why, why do you give this to me? <laughs> additionally, this is a loaded bomb right in my face. Additionally, we know that they too did not drink any wine since our Pasuk stresses. They drank and became intoxicated mm. were with him. It was only now that they were with him that they drank, but not until now. Shabbos 139a. Nazir among his brothers. Interesting. The Torah refers to him as a Nazir among his brothers. Because mm. it sounds sort of similar to Nazarite or Nazareth. Mm -hmm. Kind of interesting. Yeah, it would be a homiletic. Yeah. <clears throat> well, well, what else are you kind of seeing on that? I guess it's just the obvious, you know, the parallel again, it's just so many parallels. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I didn't know if there's anything behind or anything in addition to the obvious parallel between Yeshua saying specifically, right. I will not drink this cup till we're together again. And Yosef drinking the cup when they're together again. Right. All 12 of them. Right. So the the drinking of the cup is <laughs> predicated <laughs> off of if it's not drank, then there indicates this separation. But if it is drink, there indicates this reunion. Reunion, yeah. Which is why the whole uh, the wedding feast, the wedding supper, mm. is what we're looking at of the in land. the end times. Yeah. And they were unwittingly drinking with him, not realizing. Yeah. I guess maybe they didn't want to insult him or something. Drinking, not drinking the wine that he put out there, but that could be they were, they were fulfilling yeah. their own vow or whatever yeah. personal. Even though they didn't know it was the time for that vow to be done with. Yeah, they thought, well, we're maybe we're breaking our vow, but they were fulfilling it. One thing I want to uh, comment on what you're saying is. Uh, we have uh, the 12 disciples. He's saying, I will not drink of this until it's made new in my father's kingdom. So does that mean that Yehuda or Judas is part of the 12 that's going to be in the kingdom? Because I, I don't know. Does Judas get a bad rap for what he did? Or, I mean, because a lot of people say, you know, he's an apostate. Well, he calls him a devil. Right, says the devil in his reign to him. This is true. Mm. Yeah. But one of you is a devil. He was replaced. Yeah. Okay. By true. lots. By lots. By oh, <laughs> yeah. That's true. <clears throat> Mateus. So does that mean that uh, is not, you know, he's not going to partake in the, the, the greater Pesach? Or is it Mateus? Because I don't know if Matthias was there. They said he was there. He was one of the ones that had been with him since the beginning. And that's why they chose. Okay, yeah. It was between him and somebody else. Uh, Daddy's or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. Because they had both been there him. since the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Sorry, man. Better luck next time. 
That's funny. I never considered that that is. I actually came across a source from uh, Shavile Pincus a couple weeks ago on Parshaw Told Dope that was talking about Mashiach judging by smell. And the whole thing on the garments that uh, Yitok smelled, it said he smelled betrayers mm. among Yaakov. And so with him smelling the garments, there's this whole thing about atonement is going to come through the garments because of the betrayers. So even uh, those who are in Yaakov that betray the whole covenant, the whole faith and everything, that they're going to be covered by this atonement. Interesting. Even those that betray, covered by the atonement. Even Judas mm -hmm. is scared. So even Judas, yeah. Wow. Because he does say you will sit on 12 tribes judging the 12, 12 tribes of Israel. Judging the 12 tribes. But when he's saying that, Judas is with them. He's one of the 12. Yeah. But that's Judas, why I'm like, I don't know Judas about did this. make Teshuvah. That's what it says, but then some say, well, this is just, this is just a, it's like um, uh, Nineveh's Teshuvah. It's not really all the way Well, he didn't day. have a chance to not <laughs> undo his teshuva because yeah, yeah. he was kind of dead. It was over. I, I definitely look at his action in the blood money. He gives it back. I mean, that's something right there. Which fulfills prophecy. Yeah. Yosef, yeah. Yeshua, betrayed by a man, sold by a man named Yehuda. You know? Let me hit this rotations of priests real quick. So... This is, <clears throat> I'm going to read this source first. Hilkot Kli Hamikdash. So this is some Rambam. It says, in order to allow the priests to serve in the temple throughout the year in an organized manner, the prophets organize a rotation system, dividing the entire priestly family into 24 watches. Each watch would serve for a week and perform all the sacrificial functions required. The following week, they would be replaced by a new watch according to the order of the rotation. Okay, one week. So, over two years, you're going through these 24 rotations where everyone's having a week. So, you got your watches and like a week on. I think it's a couple. And then whoever else, whoever else, and then yeah. back up. So, that way... Whoever was serving didn't have like a, they continuously serve, 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 mm -hmm. then had a long, long break. Yeah. But kind of like how, it's funny, we do the Torah reading like that, the Torah scroll readers. Mm-hmm. We have that kind of rotation going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Stay in the rotation. Right, see From I what I was told about the Torah uh, reader, it's supposed to be two witness. well, let's see, it's supposed to be one reader. And then, then two witnesses, and then the two witnesses are supposed to be like the cheruvim. So you have the the Torah in the center, what? and then the cheruvim looking on to make sure everything that he's reading is correct. I don't wow. know. Wow. Hmm. But okay. then you say, well, that's that's the cantor when when the person's cantoring the Torah. But what about the translator? That would make four. I don't know. That's very interesting. I just, so the so the high priests were on no, I'm sorry, it wasn't the high priest on rotation. It's the priest priests mm -hmm. on rotation. Okay. I just so not Aaron, but okay. his sons mm -hmm. Ben Aaron. 
I grab my uh, dish out of the refrigerator. Yes, Let sir. Get to room temperature. Yeah, the pizza. I got two pizzas in right now, about eight minutes away from me to. Now it says that who who started this? Because the I'm profits. The profits, okay. Yeah. Because I'm under the assumption that it was David himself that did this while he was a king, which which makes an interesting parallel when Yeshua comes. Who's going to be the priest then? He has the authority as yeah. of David who made this structure up. He would have a more authority to make even a different change or structure. Right. Says anyone who has completed his service in the temple and desires to leave should not turn around and leave with his back towards the temple. Rather, he should walk backwards slightly and then walk slowly and turn to his side until leaving the temple courtyard. Similarly, the members of the priestly watch, the representatives of the Jewish people, and the Levites, when they descend from their platform, should leave the temple in this manner. Similarly to one who steps backwards after his prayers, mm. all these are expressions of reverence for the temple. Interesting. So when you walk away from the foundation stone, you should not turn your back on it. Yeah. Yeah. Or pray with your back to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Big no-no. <laughs> that reminds me of something I think we Jeez. do in sh in Shachrit. When we uh, step forward, we step backwards. Amidah. Yeah, Amidah, yeah. There's, there's all kinds of things I've heard, like... <laughs> I'm just telling you what I I think I read or heard somewhere. Like when you urinate, you're I'm not sure you're supposed to urinate in the direction of Jerusalem. Uh, when you lay down, you are to lay down facing Jerusalem. Uh, there was all kinds of little things that they said that you could do, but never turn your back on Jerusalem was the the main thing I remember getting. Hmm. I'm like I don't know. Usually when I'm in the restroom, I don't know which way is east. But well, there's a, a real spiritual answer to that. Respect, Be respectful of the property in which you're using the facilities of. Okay. So, if your toilet is not facing Jerusalem, like, you can't just go, well, let me just pee on the floor here so I can yeah, make no. sure I'm not peeing toward Jerusalem, you know? Mm -hmm. So... I mean, unless you have say-so when, when it's construction time over a certain building, you know, there's not really a way to do anything about that. Unless you just want to hold it. I was thinking the two sides. Nobody really messes with the two sides. The two sides? Yeah, the, the bowl. It's, the toilet. Yeah, it's usually <laughs> the side, left and right side, so unless you just automatically... The back of it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like getting some acrobatics. Of, yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this guy. Anything else that we? Could I want to. I want to do the betrayer's drop. Okay. So this is this is the uh, actually where it's brought down from Shavile Pinkus and Parsha Toldo. <clears throat> So he says, we're going to look at Yalkut Shimoni, 1.15, talking about Yitak smelling the garments. It says, he smelled the fragrance of his garments and blessed him. 
he sensed the sense of betrayal, i.e. those betraying him. Such as there are two specific people, and it's interesting when you look at their names. One is called Yosef of Shita, which was considered to be the greatest heretic. And another one was called Yakum, the man from Zerurot. Now, <clears throat> Yosef of Shita, literally you have Yosef, like Mashiach ben Yosef. Shita is the word for folly, which is uh, from the word that's used actually for what the altar is going to uh, make atonement for. The uh, the acacia wood is called Shatim. Okay. And remember the incident at uh, where Balaam went to the Midianites and told them, hey, go seduce the children of Israel in the tents. Uh -huh. That was called the incident at Shatim. Okay. So they made the the altar in the courtyard out of uh, acacia wood, which is Shatim. And uh, that was all about the folly of that incident. And so with the folly of that incident, Hashem is going to bring atonement. Hmm. So you have Yosef of Shita being a heretic. And with these whole garments, it says that Yitzhak sensed this betrayal that was going to happen from this Yosef person. And then you have the Yakum, which comes from the word Kum, Kuma, to rise up, rise up. like the Vahib and Soa. Mm -hmm. And Ooh. then it says rise up. <clears throat> and then Zerurot comes from the word Zerur or Zur, which means rock. So Zerurot is rocks. So rising up rocks and then Yosef of Folly are these two people that Yitzhak was able to smell through the garments. But yet he smelled all this and still blessed Yaakov. So it says, according to the Midrash, they were both extremely evil. However, they performed Teshuva towards the end of their lives. They sacrificed their lives and suffered greatly. For the sake of Kiddush Hashem, a heavenly voice announced that they were deserving of the Alam Haba. We must endeavor to explain why it was revealed to Yitzhak through Ruach HaKodesh that these traitors and heretics would descend from Yaakov specifically when he was receiving the brachas. So like that whole thing about him coming in the garments, but yet... Even though he was deceiving his father, his father's his father smelled the fragrant aroma, but yet at the same time he smelled those who would be heretics, and through the whole blessing process, even the heretics would be given the opportunity to make teshuva so that they could be worthy of the alam haba. So I did a whole drop on that on anchor and uh, tied that to Yehuda. Yeah. When he went and took the money back and people were like, no, we don't want this money. And then they ended up buying a field. And then he hung himself in that field. In that field and then his Came blood up. like splattered all, all yeah. over it when he fell. So That reminds wow. me of uh, <clears throat> when Yeshua says, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that from these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. From the stones! Yakum so, Zeruo. Yeah, uh, from these rocks. <clears throat> wow, that's beautiful. I was thinking about the uh, the okay Yanuka Yanuka. Y'all familiar with Yanuka? Yanuka. Yeah, the little boy. 
from where? Uh, I think it's in the writing of uh, Ram. Uh, okay. What did he do? Well, he he uh, two prominent rabbis are walking, and they said, "Who are you, little Yanuka, little boy?" And he says, "You don't know Is my father." Is this that Zohar drop about the little boy who had the father who was the, a, a not, not worthy of? No words. Yeah. And then I think it's these two same rabbis. I don't know. I, I forget all the <clears throat> the sequences. But yeah, Yanuka smells. I think he goes back to his mother. And his mother says, why don't you tell them who your father is? And he says, they're not worthy. And yeah. then and she goes, how do you know this? He says, because I can smell, smell it on them. That they didn't say this morning, Shema. Shema, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they literally call the boy an angel of God. Yeah. Like, Who are yeah, you, angel? The rabbis were kissing him, and they were stunned by everything yeah. that he was sharing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what I'm He smells them. <clears throat> like Yaakov smells. I mean, like Yitzhak smells Yaakov. Um, there was something I was reading that said the when Yosef was in prison that... I think it was the the cupbearer who was trying to insult Yosef by calling him a youth huh. and a slave and so forth. And I'm like, I, can't, I don't know if it was in Orheim or not. I was reading it the other day. And I'm Probably like, it's Orheim because he always gives details. Like yeah, that. yeah, I'm trying to find it. Something like that was in Kholt actually talks about that. I don't know if it's from. Or I just know that but, you know. Anytime you see an allusion to a child or the youth or a lad, yeah, it's actually it's a reference to Mintet. Oh, yes, it like, is. So, huh? So, I was wondering if like, if trying to insult him in some way, he's also on a sewed level, comparing comparing Yosef to Mintet, right? You know. Saying yeah, Ben Burton Ladder Jacob has yeah. a whole drop oh, about yeah. uh, the people who were called Na'ar. It was Yosef, David, Moshe, and uh, Memtet. And I can't remember if there was another one. <clears throat> all of those were called Na'ar. What is Na'ar? Which lad or, or yeah. youth? Not okay. Yelid? Yitzhak was called it. Did I say Yitzhak? No, I don't think Yitzhak was it. Oh, wow. Not yell it, because yell it is like... The, yeah, like little boy. Yeah, like little boy. But yeah, Na'ar is like a title, and it, it, it's all wrapped up into all these redeemers, huh. basically. Yeah, Zay... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Chapter 41, verse 38, in Maquettes, it says, And Pharaoh said to his courtiers, Could we find another man like this who clearly has the Spirit of God within him? And that was in front of the cupbearer. And it Ooh. says here... Pharaoh paid no heed to the cupbearer's remarks about Joseph's unfitness to hold public office because the cupbearer was saying what you're talking about and that he was a servant, he was a slave. Right. Which is interesting because I was thinking that, um, isn't it it neat that not uh, not only did the brothers not expect Joseph, the whole world did not expect Yosef because right. oh, they yeah. denied him as well. They yeah. thought he can't be it. Wow. His brother said Ooh. he can't be it, and the world said he can't be it because he's a slave. Good. 
Zakin Yosef said that in the Chumash with the teachings of the Talmud for Shemot, I remember him saying uh, at one point that there's a drop that says Mem Ted is referred to as the rejected angel. Hmm. Whoa. <laughs> so I don't know. Do you have a copy of that? Do you have Emet Yev Shemot? I don't know if I do. Oh, man. Okay. I wonder what parents I'm supposed uh, what... to have them as they print out, so. Yeah. I don't know if they uh, sent it to me or not. Okay. I'll check for a second. If anybody would like some pizza, yeah, I'm going to pretty hungry. Cahol says uh, Yosef tried to converse with Pharaoh in Hebrew, but Pharaoh did not understand him. Oh, the yes. Hebrew language was yes. preserved only by the line of Shem. It's only by what? By the line, line of Shem. Shem. And that Pharaoh said, don't tell anybody I don't know that language. <laughs> That's what it says. Swear to me. Swear to me you will not divulge this. That's interesting. So Pharaoh would be a Hamite, uh, Shem. Yeah, I think Hamite he's from Ham. I uh, remember these guys' names because yeah. Shem is like Mitzrayim comes from. Asking you, show what Oh wow, awesome, bro, Shem. It comes from Chet Mitzrayim. Comes from Chet. Because his name means hot. His name means hot. I just need a spoon if you don't mind. Huh? A big spoon or a little spoon? A big spoon, please. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the three, uh, the three sons of Noah's name because Shem, like Hashem, famous. Uh, Yafet is a uh, Yofi, a beautiful, and Ham, which is hot. Which is what? Hot. 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 Like, like temperature, temp oh, temperature hot. Oh. So one's name is famous, Shem. <laughs> one's name is beautiful, Yofi or Yafet. And one's name is hot. Oh, their characteristics. Het. No, just their names, what their name means. Oh. Shem, son of Noah. His name is Shem, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Shem could be famous, something famous, someone famous, someone well-known. His name is well-known. His mm. shim is well-known. Okay. Uh, Yo, uh, Yafet is a form of Yofi. Beautiful. Beautiful. And then... Yeah. So you're saying Ham is also called Hot. Yeah. His name is Hot. Hmm. Huh. Did I know that? Hot. And then they talk hot. about the different regions that they settled in. And it seems like... Het, lived in a hot region. You know, yeah, they <laughs> did, yeah. 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 It's like, oh, that's interesting. Nice connection. Because I always wondered, it was like, the more the Arabic and all the desert and stuff that they live in. So. Yeah. It was saying in here, Yosef was talking to his sons and saying, should we, do we don't, don't think that you're like uh, Ishmaelites and whatnot. That we have food or whatever. Mm-hmm. I guess they were outside the region of... Yeah, they were surrounded by all the different nations. They would have seen, like, how come you guys don't have any famine? Like, what's wrong with y'all? 
You mean Yosef's? Okay, Yaakov's son. When, when the famine started, like yeah. they were totally fine. Like they didn't have to go to Egypt. Yeah. Everybody else had to. But when they started needing food, it was said. Uh, oh wow. Yosef said. Now I understand. You guys uh, don't act like you're like the Ishmaelites. Who have food we're gonna starve if you don't go down there and get it you know what i mean that's what made him go back with benjamin yeah like that whole okay so the ishmaelites had food mm. is that what i'm let me uh i know i know the there. brothers did because they sent some of it up with on the second journey and it talks about the stuff that they had was mm -hmm. pistachios one of them mm -hmm. I, I don't remember all the stuff that they brought with them to to like uh, to uh, to kind of like trade for food. But is it good? So that means that they did have food. They had pistachio and all the thing, raisins and stuff. But they still needed food. Mm-hmm. And then what we read last week, uh, Yako uh, kind of rebuked them. Why are you standing out here acting like you don't need food? Uh, here go, we go. Yeah, go back up there. Bear sheet forty three says the famine in the land was severe. Verse 2, it says, And when they had eaten up the rations which they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again and procure some food for us. Mm -hmm. 43. So you want that one, or probably the, the one he said before that would be good. Because mm -hmm. he said, uh, Yaakov perceived that there was grain, which I think that's what we saw. Uh, last week. Yeah. All right. Here it is. Look at 42, verse 1. <clears throat> Kehold, it says, Yaakov said to his sons, Why do you pretend to the Ishmaelites and Edomites mm. that we have enough provisions to last us through the famine, when in fact we only have enough for a short while? Why should you draw attention to yourselves by not actively seeking some means of providing for yourselves before our provisions run out? There's no guarantee that God will continue to sustain us miraculously. President, remember when Yitzhak was getting ready to go to Egypt and Hashem was like, no, stay in the land. Yeah. Then he settled near the Philistines. Oh. Yitzhak even though there was a world famine going on, was planting fields and reaping harvest. As I spit my food everywhere, sleep out. <laughs> but with Yaakov and his sons, they're having the same thing go on. <clears throat> sleep out, they're having the same thing going on. And everybody is looking at them like, wait, what? And so Yaakov is speaking here like, let's not pretend like we're gonna make it through this whole famine. Like you're gonna have to go to Egypt. Because at some point, he's alluding to, we need to go to Egypt. It's just a matter of time. So we can pretend like we're not going to have to go and get food. But at some point, we're going to have to. Because what do we know? The manna ran out at some point when they had to go into the promised land. Mm -hmm. You know, the well at some point stopped giving forth water. Because mm -hmm. they were already in the land now. And it went ahead of them to Galilee. So... We're looking at the same picture here where it's like the exile is getting ready to start, which again, that's a beautiful drop on the exile. Why we had to go to the Egypt exile and Hashem making a strong nation out of us. Yeah. 
But um, so yeah, so he's letting he's saying like the Edomites and the Ishmaelites they're going through the famine. We're the only ones that's not. And so like if they find out like you guys are just still going through this famine, like they're gonna come for us. Like they had their own provisions. No, no, no. They they needed to go to Egypt too. Like everybody had to go to Egypt. So the Jews were the only ones not going to Egypt. So Yaakov's like, why do we need to sit here and pretend like we don't need to go get provisions? Like we have miraculous provision, yeah. But at some point, we can't keep like being all these miracles in people's face. Oh, you know, it's kind of that whole idea of the hidden miracle and the natural provision. You know, because you'll get the evil eye basically stirred up. <clears throat> like when uh, Abraham and Sarah, they're going to take my stuff and they see how beautiful you are. They're going to take my stuff and they see how much I have. Yeah. Because wow. there's this whole idea where if you keep using up all your merit, you keep using up miraculous things, quote unquote, oh. you're going to tip the scales in, in, a, in a bad sight mm. when it comes to judgment. Hmm. Is that why when the people kept telling Yeshua, give us a miracle, give us a sign, give us a sign. He's like, I'm not here to do signs and wonders. Mm -hmm. Because it's going to tip that scale. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's the whole thing with the water at the sea. Because when, when, the, when they got to the Yom Suf and it was time for the water to split, the water was like, no, we're not. Because why are we going to split for you to let the Jewish people come through? And then you're going to want us to close when the Egyptians come through. Because at this point, I can't tell the difference between Egypt and Israel. <laughs> Interesting. And that's in wow. Or Hakim. That's the sea talking to Hashem. Like, wow. The sea? Yeah, the sea was like, no, I don't want to do this. Yeah, like the Yom Suf itself was yeah. talking to Hashem. Mm. So the players didn't know it doesn't know the difference between humans and humans. Yeah. Well, this you're saying that you know everybody was going to Egypt except the yeah. Jews, yeah, and that's kind of the same situation that Judaism in large part today is stuck in. Is, mm. Why are we going to go to the world? We're going to stay in our community. Mm -hmm. We're going to do our own thing. We're just going to like repopulate amongst ourselves. We don't need to go out there and get the sparks. We don't need to go out there into the world, right? Like, Mm -hmm. And, and at some realize, point, that's going to have to come to an end. And, yeah, at some point, they're going to have to go into Egypt. And they don't realize that the Mashiach is sitting there, yeah. waiting for them, saying, like, I've laid the groundwork, now it's time to harvest the sparks. Mm -hmm. And again, you keep looking at our commentaries, it talks about why the brothers chose shepherding, but Yosef was viceroy. Like, the brothers didn't think there was any way for you to descend into materiality and elevate it. Yeah. So they chose shepherding. Mm. Which I think is so interesting today that in Judaism there's this whole idea of don't go out and proselytize unless people are Jewish, you know, and then let's go get those people. Because there's no way a non-Jew is going to come into this. We'd be wasting our time. Yeah. It talks about Noahide laws in here. Really? Yeah. Well, if you find that and you want to share it, you're more than welcome to. I will. But 
you know, so it's just kind of, it's showing because this was from the day one of the Aliyah this week. Rabbi brought this down that this is the difference between Yosef and Yehuda, the two Mashiachs. That Yehuda represents prayer, Yosef represents Torah, and you have this idea that Sika, the ones who want to sequester themselves, stay in and pray and stay in the Arubs and all this kind of stuff, they don't want to go out, but yet the ones who are about the Torah, they're the ones who are literally elevating up the world, you know, and so this is the difference, but those two have to come together. And that's where he said the blend is where we have Torah-centric outreach, you know, that we're not afraid to go out and reach the nations, and at the same time, we don't compromise our standards of Torah. And that's kind of where the disconnect is. You think in order to reach the nations, there has to be a compromise. Like, mm. you have to leave something behind. You have to give up, you know, something. And it's like, no, you can have your Arab. No, you can have all of your stringencies. But there's still a way for you to reach out to the world. Like Shaul. Right. And so there's a, that's where the, uh, the conflict and the clash kind of comes in. Wow. Two more pizzas are coming out, so y'all don't be afraid to eat. Man, this is awesome. Thank you yeah, very much for the pizza. Yeah, toda. One thing that was on my mind to talk about when I got here. Yeah. Is because among Christendom, they think, oh, Jews can't be saved because they don't believe in Yeshua, right? Mm. You know? And my rebuttal to that is, well... The brothers know Yosef in a different way than the Mitzrayim knew Yosef. You mm. understand what I'm saying? Mm. And I would point to people like Kaduri, Rabbi Yitzchak Kaduri. Y'all familiar with him? Heard of him. That's the one who announced Yeshua, right? Yeah, okay, so, um, so he's a big rabbi. In fact, when he died, um, the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu... Uh, he did something special for him. I, I don't know if he shut down the, the office or he, he had words for him, but he's such a big rabbi that the prime minister took note. I can't remember exactly what he did, but he's a he's a major rabbi. And he said upon his death that his time, he would leave a letter because he said that he had met the Mashiach and he knew who he was, but he wasn't uh, saying, you know. But, but he, he had, time yeah. So he had wrote this letters to his Tommy Dean, and his Tommy Dean knew how to um, decode the letter. Mm. Okay, so when and they had, I, I believe they they had it on the website his letter to his Tommy yeah. Dean, and I'm not sure if they had to decipher or not. But when they decipher it, it it had the name for Joshua. Yeah. yeah. And they knew what that meant. That yeah. that means this Yeshua guy, and and so they took it down, and and then the <laughs> yeah, and take the top, sign down. They were like, he had to be wrong. There had to be a mistake. Yeah, we we're not sure exactly what he meant. He lost his brain right before he went. <laughs> so, but so like guys like Kaduri, who know who Mashiach is. I mean, it's like the 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 brothers. They know who Yosef is, but they know him differently. Then the people of Mitzrayim knows Yosef. Yeah, because remember, Mitzrayim knew Yosef as Zaphonat Paneah. Yeah. The brothers know him as Yosef. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And see, the way Mitzrayim was looking at him, they looked at him as a lowly slave, a foreigner, Ooh. who became mm. 
uh, an exalted king or king-like, and the brothers looked at him as uh, a foreign ruler, a Gentile, a pagan, right. idolater. So how both Mitzrayim and, and the brothers looked at him they didn't see the true self. They didn't see the true... So both sides weren't able to see. No. Right, Which is, I think, why the, okay. like, the entire world <laughs> the entire world is going to be an upheaval when the Meshach appears. Here we go. Because he's not going to be what anybody thought he was going to be. It says the Jewish people are collectively referred to as Yosef. Oh, okay. We are thus called upon to follow Yosef's example by remaining uncontaminated by our materialistic milieu and even refining it. By strengthening our own commitment to Judaism, we influence our fellow Jews to strengthen theirs. Moreover, we influence the broader community of non-Jews to keep the laws of the Torah that apply to them, the Noahide laws... Uh, Thus we will simultaneously transform the entire world into God's home. But how ironic, they just talked about one paragraph before this, Yosef making everyone circumcise himself, yes. which is not a Noahide law. Right, not right. a Noahide. Just very one paragraph before that statement. That, that's exactly what I was thinking. It can't be Noahide because he talked about circumcision. Oh. That's not one of the Noahide laws. And it was, let's see if I can pull this up. Shlomo got this drop from the little Midrash says. Um, Where'd you get this? Shlomo posted that on Facebook. Hmm. Oh, do you want crushed red peppers? Do you have crushed red yes. peppers? Oh, crushed red peppers is great. It enhances everything. Cool. Huh. So why would you give the nation seven laws to follow if only the Jews can fulfill them? <laughs> That's the most deceptive garbage I've so ever seen. Double talk. Yeah. It's like, oh, here, you want to be, okay, do these seven, you'll be okay. I mean, it's Little like right, literally two paragraphs up here. Joseph knew that God had commanded Abraham and his descendants to circumcise any servant they purchase. Uh, da, da, da. That's why he had to everybody circumcise. Right. And then it says, non-Jews, we can help tell them to keep the Noahide laws. <laughs> Servants that were purchased? Yeah. Because they we're essentially... About we purchased with a price? Mm. <clears throat> Servants? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what what do you eat? What is this? It looks like a Sunday. Cause I always like every time you're having it, I'm like I always forget what it is. I think you may have told me one Caprese. time. Caprese. Caprese. It's a bunch of cheese. Okay. So uh, mozzarella cheese, cheddar cheese. Uh, put some sour cream, some salt, olive oil, olives, and a little a few tomatoes. And you're supposed to put um. What is it, basil? Mmm. Basil, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like a lot of olive oil in it. Cool. 
<laughs> I'm thinking he's having an ice cream sundae. It looks kind of like a dessert, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 No. It's cheese. It's cheese. So I think with your humash up top, that should be the uh, Rashi commentary that's interpolated in there. In the K-hole? Yeah, up here in this area. Oh. Which is why you would get all that extra information on what uh, Yako told the brothers. Don't pretend like you guys are okay. Mm. Yeah, it has Rashi. The two, the two key seacloth. Mm-hmm. So basically, what we do in the Gospels for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—that's what they did with the Lakute Siko. Oh, really? They took the Rebbe's words and canonized it into a volume set. Hmm. Really? Yeah, just the same way our Basora is Mashiach's words are ready, canonized into a volume set. Huh. Wow. And that's Latuki. Lakute. Lakute Sikhot. Mm hmm. That reminds me of a, an Israeli artist named Silichot. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, like urban art or like paintings or what? Uh, he was using mm. silly hookers of musicians. <clears throat> the same time I, I learned about uh, Yanuka, which is the little boy with, who could smell the worthiness of the two rabbis or the <laughs> unworthiness. <laughs> there was also some mentioning of spots. Sleek off for interrupting you. <laughs> it's like. What's that? Do I smell unworthiness? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Unworthy you are. <laughs> uh, I also learned about spots. Do you know about spots? Some kind the of city of spot. Uh, okay, in the burial place of spot, which you had you had to. I think probably Shimeon Ben Yokai, the writer of Zohar, buried there. Okay. Okay. Where you had to descend. From a tree's roots or something like that to get the spots. I have not heard that. Okay. And when you get there, there's all these very famous rabbis there. And it says, "It's when I first heard it, I'm like, what? But it, from what I remember, because it took me by surprise, they say, okay, this rabbi so-and-so here, this great rabbi so-and-so here, and Yeshua, the notary, is buried here. And I'm like, what? Hmm? What does that mean? What What are they saying? Because I don't know what spots is somewhere in uh, Israel. I'm like, well, what are they saying here? Like, don't take it, don't take it on, uh, on the, the literal letter, uh, don't take it on the literal meaning. Mm -hmm. He says what you can be... Uh, understood here is that it's buried here meaning the teachings mm. of these rabbis are all buried here mm. and so Yeshua's not necessarily bodies there but his teaching the body the body of his work and teaching is known <clears throat> there rabbi like, yeah rabbi Yeshua but it's it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of like 
you have Rabbi so-and-so and this great rabbi and it goes through a lot of people and then out of nowhere like oh yeah Yeshua Notri is there like what whoa 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 mm -hmm. don't just glaze over that mm -hmm. yeah. but yeah the interpretation is his teaching is known there so the idea is that these different rabbis that are mm -hmm. buried there mm -hmm. The teaching of Yeshua is also among them. Yes. Or yes. the opposite. These rabbis' teachings are are entwined with Yeshua's teaching. They would have to be. Because they can't be rabbis if not. So when mm. we talk about when when the, the people who how how do Jews be saved and they don't believe in Yeshua? Well, you know, you that's gotta like understand. A, that's like a midget on a runway. It's like it's <laughs> way over the head. Yeah. Like as far as like there's so much that's like missing in that statement because <clears throat> if you're asking about a Jew being saved, first of all, that has to do with if they're in covenant or not. Right. Second of all, person asking this question probably doesn't even know what covenant means. Then if you're talking about Yeshua, it's like if Yeshua is something different than leading you into Torah observance and, and Teshuva. It's a fate. Then you're not even asking the right question on that. So, I mean, like, how many things are we going to talk about with that statement, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's like an onion. Peel back the layers and which one do you want to talk about? True. Well, the uh, gospel portion this week is Luke 24. <clears throat> I feel like we're... Getting close to an index time, if, if y'all are good with that. I'll be here all day, so. <laughs> I want to be respectful of everyone's time. Luke 24, 30 through 48. Mm-hmm, that's it. Are you reading this week? Rukersham. Speaking of the betrayer, that's that's what we're talking about. Oh, is it? <clears throat> it's Luke what? 24, 30 through 48. Oh, wow. Oh, no, wait. This is the road to Emmaus. Yeah, this is resurrection passage. Sleek out. Because the, the people who were on a, on the road to Emmaus, like, they invited him to come to their house. And it wasn't until he broke the matzah <clears throat> that they realized it was Yeshua. So what I'm thinking about with that is how this whole thing about who's going to stand up for Benjamin is like breaking of the matzah. Because when you, when you break the the matzah, that's hamotzi lechamin ha'adetz, and you break it. Like, who raises up the grain, the bread from the earth, like mm -hmm. the resurrection. And so, through, uh, through Benjamin, we have this idea of being able to experience the resurrection if we're willing to lay down our life for him, kind of thing. Mm. So, when, when all the brothers were like, no, you're going to have to take us, or we're taking it all, all out, like, Benjamin ain't going nowhere. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
It's quite interesting. His <coughs> resurrection body seems to be very different from before he went to the grave body, but on the same hand, it's very similar as well. Mm-hmm. Because he can still eat and everything with it. Yeah, that's that's the amazing part because you think your resurrection body wouldn't eat, but then again, he says it will not. It, I, I will not drink of this until it's given its full meaning in the kingdom. Which when I hear that, that means like when we're resurrected, that's the kingdom then, what he's mm-hmm. talking about. So we're eating in a resurrected body. It's fascinating. And then there's no blood because he still has holes in his, well, I don't know if it's proper to call it flesh, mm-hmm. but holes in his body and there's no blood you know, spewing from it because, I mean, he's... Yeah. No blood is left in his body. It's all poured out. Which is interesting. Because I think about there's some kind of tie between the blood and the soul. The soul and the blood. Some, some yeah, kind of connection. Yeah, because the life is in the blood. Right. And uh, so he poured, poured out his life. He poured out his blood. It's just kind of interesting. The new resurrection body doesn't need blood. Yeah, it, it would definitely be a different relationship than what it is now. Yeah. Because the soul and the, the body... Oh, and he can and the appear way out of going. nowhere. Yeah. That's amazing there. He can appear out of nowhere. Because it says they were in locked rooms and he just was there. Mm-hmm. And at this one, he disappeared. When they broke the bridge. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Wasn't uh, Rabbi talking about this morning uh, when I was driving that the... Um, when Yeshua references the... <clears throat> the holes in his hands mm-hmm. and his side and he tells Thomas and then to come near to him. Yes. It was the same thing when Joseph said, come near to me yeah. and he showed them his circumcision. Yeah. It's like, I am who I said I am. That's also right. Kumash of the Talmud. Yeah. And insight. Because it says originally when he showed up to his brothers, um, he said, I'm Joseph. And it says the brothers didn't believe him. Then it says, and then Joseph spoke to him in Hebrew. And they still didn't believe him. Mm. And then it showed mm. him. Then he showed him the the mark of circumcision, and that's when they believed. The scars of and I thought, yeah, Yeshua showed up first, and he said Shalom mm. Aleichem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they're all like, Aleichem Shalom. Hebrew. Wait, what? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like, wait a minute, this guy knows all the languages. I bet he learned. <laughs> and then they showed him the circumcision. You know that would have tipped them off too that these guys coming in to get food. Already had been circumcised. Back at the beginning of the story. Yeah. Laura Haim had a interesting <clears throat> comment when it says, "I am Joseph, who you sold into slavery." It, he's looking at that phrase, "who you sold into slavery." It said uh, um, that when the brothers made the decision to sell Joseph into slavery, they made a a vow. And, and they also created a ban on anybody sharing that information with anybody else. Oh, yeah. And it says, and they included Hashem in that as well. So they, they silenced Hashem from saying anything about Yosef being sold into slavery as well. So the only people who knew was the brothers, Joseph, and that was it. And so for him saying, I'm Joseph, who you sold into slavery, that was confirmation that... I'm the one because only I'm the one that knows, aside from you. So I was like, whoa, that's really, wow, really deep. So 
Because <clears throat> Warwick Hine keeps asking the question, why didn't Yosef tell Yaakov? Why yeah. didn't Hashem say anything? Like, he's asking all these questions, like, why was this never, at some point, a message or something got out said, you know, he's alive. So it, it went through this whole dialogue about that. Which is the whole reason why his name had to be changed. Because you know the whole world was like, Zephaniah, Zephaniah, this, Zephaniah, Zephaniah, that. Buddy Zephaniah, Zephaniah. Your yeah. daddy Zephaniah, Zephaniah, or your friend Zephaniah, Zephaniah. They make t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what, what would Zephaniah, Zephaniah do? I'm sure. As <laughs> <laughs> I say, bumper stickers and, yeah. and uh, like, Jesus, yeah, yeah. Change his name, conceal his identity. Wow. Yeah. I just keep thinking about Yeshua saying it's not my time yet. You know, like, yeah. This is why we can say Yeshua to a blue in the face to people, and they uh, just go, "Oh, you mean Jesus?" And you're like, Yeah. 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 Well, what Rabbi's been bringing out about the Aliyah Day Goodness. is the fact that there was a specific moment that was set for Yosef to reveal himself to his brothers, and you couldn't force that time. And yeah. you know, and so you know, going out to Jewish communities with Isaiah fifty-three signs <laughs> is doing absolutely nothing. That's working yeah. against. Yeah, it's though. working against the the whole. Process. Uh, all they know. see is gobbledygook. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, then they do, then they get defensive and they make other things that, oh, it's not talking about, it's talking about Israel. It's not talking about Mashiach. Yeah, convolute it's, the whole thing. Yeah. So when we think we're doing good, or what they think they're doing good is actually being turned to like something not so good. Which, I, there's a. Chabad article that says Isaiah 53 is a reference to Mashiach ben Yosef. Really? Yeah. That's just Chabad, don't know why. Chabad is valid. (laughs) Well, there's that. So one of the things, too, with when it comes to the revelation aspect... Awesome sight! (laughs) Yeah! When it comes to the the whole fact of everybody forcing the revelation, like if Hashem is the one who's going to reveal the final redemption, you know, it's kind of like we're pushing Hashem's uh, like timeline and agenda to the side, you know, as far as that goes. It's like we're going to have the redemption on our terms, which there is a balance to that because we're supposed to hasten it, you know, but at the same time, if we're just outright forcing it, you know, like this is this is how it is, this is what it's gonna be, you know, it's kind of like what what kind of uh, example or what kind of picture are you painting with that? Well, you think about it in terms of what we've been talking about, Joseph, and that if he had forced it on them before it was time, they wouldn't have had a chance to uh, make essentially teshuva and redemption in offering up themselves instead of Benjamin. Yeah. If he had forced it, maybe it's the same thing here. You know, trying to force that is preventing a measure of redemption for people that will Yeah, gain eventually it. gain yeah, wow. <clears throat> so go ahead. I was actually thinking about when you say force, the first thing in my mind, I know this is crazy as can be, 
But during the Hasmonean, they were forcing circumcision on people, right? But right before, and even during that time, and even later, there was the reverse circumcision. Mm-hmm. And so I would think that, you know, people who would be forced into it, they may, after, when they get freedom, revert back into their old ways. Right. From being but mutilated? Because there, yeah, yeah, there is no true heart change. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to 